It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. Well, the number of minority-owned businesses has grown to about a third of all businesses in the United States. But startups for blacks and Latinos also have higher failure rates. And economists say one big reason is they have less access to federally backed loans from big banks. Farida Javala Romero from Here and Now contributor KQED reports on some of the challenges facing minority business owners in California. And rolling in one, two... Hello and welcome to All About Community. My name is Robert Leonard Stevens has run a television production business in Oakland for 13 years. His shows air on two Bay Area cable channels, and he sees potential for his network, RTV, to go national, even global. Its online streaming numbers show it, he says. People are watching us all over the world. I was looking at the analytics yesterday. To expand, Stevens is applying for a small business administration loan, half a million dollars. A bank has to provide the loan, but the federal SBA guarantees up to 85% of the amount in case the borrower can't pay back. That's why Stevens believes the bank might be more willing to take a chance on his business. So the bank has a very low risk in terms of them losing any money. If he succeeds, he'll be a rarity. The SBA guaranteed more than $5 billion last year in California, but African Americans were just 2% of those borrowers. Latinos were 13 percent, even though they own close to a quarter of all the businesses in the state. The tiny percentage of minority loans is not a good sign for the U.S. economy, says Alicia Robb, an economist with the University of Colorado. Minority businesses are a growing share of our um, business community and, you know, as our population. And so we need to ensure, because they're lower wealth levels, they're more reliant on credit. We need to ensure that credit markets are working for them. Rob has found that blacks and Latinos apply less than white Americans for bank loans for fear of rejection. And then there's this fact from multiple studies. 
when those minority business owners do apply, they get rejected more than equally creditworthy white-owned firms. That's why we need the government to really focus on these huge gaps that we see in the market. Mark Quinn directs the SBA for Northern California. He says the Great Recession left African Americans and Latinos farther behind. Those communities lost much of their wealth. People who lost their homes also lost collateral to apply for business loans. Certainly before the Great Recession, SBA had a higher share of our lending to African American and Latino businesses. What we saw then after the Great Recession was a couple of really negative factors. Low-income communities had their credit scores affected. Lenders became more conservative. Regulators told lenders that they wanted to see more cautious lending. Quinn says the SBA started a pilot program in 2011 to reach underserved communities. It's called Community Advantage, offering loans up to $250,000. Those SBA-backed dollars don't go through big banks. You can't really get the large for-profit lenders to really see that it's profitable to do lots of small loans. That's why we really look to the nonprofit world to be our real avenue to get into some of the communities we can't get to from some of the national banks. The program is still just a pilot. Quinn says it's been hard to ramp up Community Advantage and other micro-lending SBA programs because nonprofit lenders have less capacity than banks, so there's fewer loans going out. But for the small business owners who are successful in getting those dollars, it can make a huge difference. That's how Dominica Rice opened her restaurant Cosecha in Oakland. Um, We've been here, this July will be six years. Rice saw others in her family open businesses that didn't work out. So she was very cautious. So I took around almost five years of interviewing people who I've known and worked with who own restaurants, and I asked them every question. She was mentored and saved money and then found a local nonprofit lender that helped her figure out how to make her menu cost-effective and guided her through the loan application process. And the applications are daunting. And tell them, like, I'm a dyslexic Chicana from L.A. I was very forthcoming. I'm like, this is not my thing. I'm not the person who's on the computer doing a ton of research. I am the person who climbs a mountain in Oaxaca to meet a señora who makes mole. That's who I am. And that mole sauce is popular. There's a long line of customers here daily. Rice has already repaid her $35,000 loan. Our other borrower, Leonard Stevens, he decided to go a different route. He hired brokers to help him prepare his SBA loan application. The brokers are there to utilize some of the banks or financial institutions that they've worked with before that they have a good relationship with. The brokers advised Stevens to hire an accountant to put his media company's balance sheets in order and do cash flow projections for the bank. And you should come back and talk to me in a few weeks, and then I'll have a bigger bigger perspective and hopefully a bigger smile on my face by then. I've invested a lot of money in these brokers. Stevens has paid about $30,000 total to the brokers and the accountant just to apply. He just hopes it's worth it. For here and now, I'm Farida Javala Romero in Oakland. There are currently seven plaintiffs in this class action lawsuit, but attorneys say they've already gotten calls from more than 30 other water department employees saying they too were subjected to name calling, racist behavior, and overall working in what they say was a hostile environment for decades. They sexually harass our women. 
They intimidate and harass our men. They have intentionally and systematically stripped us of our seniority. We have both glass ceilings and glass walls based solely on the color of our skin. Derek Edmond has been an engineer with the city's water department for more than 30 years. He joined six other plaintiffs in this suit. They say they work in a poisonous work environment every single day. This hostile work environment affects our working environment, promotions, job assignments, disciplinary actions, everyday treatment, and everyday treatment. The water department makes our reality very clear. Either drown in a poisonous culture or leave to make room for one of their own. In the complaint, the workers say they were called the N-word. Women referred to in derogatory terms and both passed over or denied promotions in favor of white employees or workers from other plants. And they said if they complained about being unhappy, they weren't given the opportunity to transfer to a different plant. Archie High retired three years ago after spending more than 40 years as a laborer for the water department. He too says he was ignored and denied the opportunity to move up the corporate ladder when he voiced concern about working conditions. Now that I can see that somebody cares somewhere, you know what I'm saying. So it's just that the 40 years I, I was here, I went to a, a, a turmoil. Attorneys say while their clients were responsible for bringing fresh water to millions of Chicago residents, they often felt faceless and voiceless at work until now. That the culture of the water department is indeed hostile and abusive. That's already been admission. And this is the next step in that admission process. Is this, is the, this is the next step in the reconciliation of how black people have been treated every day. Now, the plaintiffs say they want more oversight from the city, the ability to be promoted equally like others based on their seniority and equal pay. Attorneys aren't putting a price tag on how much they want in compensation. From the city, they say they'll wait until they have a final number of how many workers joining the class action suit before they do that. Now, the city hasn't yet responded to the lawsuit, but Mayor Emanuel and the city council are praising the new water commissioner, Randy Connor, an African-American man from the south side who was promoted and confirmed by Alderman just on Wednesday. Mark and Micah. Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade. In for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. I got uh, dislodged from my water uh, in dealing with some of the issues as we began. Um, I figured out, I had said, I think a few days ago, that we were having some tech issues. I was trying to figure out what the uh, problem was. It seemed exclusive to the live stream. Uh, I think, I think I have figured it out. We will have to see, but it required me to uh, do some moving. Uh, I had to switch floors from the house. That was uh, what caused the delay uh, in getting rolling. Uh, but my apologies. Hopefully we will not have the issue moving forward. Uh, this is Workplace Racism, our weekly Thursday forum. Uh, workplace racism issues, certainly if we have black entrepreneurs, uh, dial in. Uh, if you have commentary you would like to share, feel free. Uh, certainly for other folks, if you're employed, uh, if you work for white folks directly, indirectly, uh, if you generally have uh, black or non-white managers, coworkers, what have you, dial in. Uh, if you are having problems yourself, if you've made observations of different things that are going on 
in the workplace, uh, if you have uh, reviewed your work history, uh, that's something I try to remind folks of on a uh, regular basis, um, reflecting back uh, for folks who are thinking about studying racism, white supremacy now, uh, you can reflect back to what you thought, how you felt when you were a bit more confused. Uh, and see if there is a difference uh, in terms of uh, any problems that you experienced, situations that came up, how you dealt with things then, knowing what you were having the understanding of racism, white supremacy you had at that time, as opposed to what you would do, what you would say now, or not do, not say, uh, with the understanding you have now. I think that can be very important as well. Uh, again, we have younger folks, folks who do not have, you know, extensive uh, work history, so I think it's always, uh, they always appreciate, I think, uh, being able to hear about uh, different work scenarios so they can kind of get a heads up, myself included, on the type of things that you might have to prepare for uh, in a given work situation, just knowing, you know, this is how I would respond, this is what I would do, this is what I would say. Uh, the number to dial, 641-715-3640. The code five six four nine four three pound press star six if you would like to participate that number again six four one seven one five three six four zero the code five six four nine four three pound press star six if you would like to participate uh, again <clears throat> my email address uh, until justice at gmail.com until justice at gmail.com uh, for the workplace racism broadcast specifically uh, <clears throat> For that program, uh, if you want to email in until justice at gmail.com, until justice at gmail.com. Uh, if you have commentary, questions, what have you that you would like to share, feel free uh, until justice at gmail.com. You can read it anonymously uh, on the broadcast uh, and share your thoughts, observations, what have you until justice at gmail.com. Uh, quick comments, uh, had. I thought those were two very important segments uh, that, were, that we kind of began uh, this week's broadcast with. Uh, the first one where they were talking about the lack of finances being available to the term they used, minority business owners, talking about non-white people uh, in the states. I always think that that sort of information is important. Uh, because, you know, I've heard many times on this broadcast and just in general, I hear people, you know, say, hey, all we need to do, black people, is start our own businesses, that that will end the problem with racism, white supremacy, or at least that will end uh, our difficulties with regards to experiencing racism on the job and white people not wanting to give us jobs and then just brutalizing us, you know, once they allow us uh, to get some form of employment. I say I'm, I'm never speaking in opposition to being self-employed, working for yourself. Nothing incorrect about that at all, but I just think it's, it's inaccurate if people are talking as though your problems with white supremacy racism will be over 
once you go into business for yourself. That is not the truth. No way, no how. Do not believe it for a second. Uh, and that's why I try and include information and encourage participation from black entrepreneurs and, uh, and re- encourage uh, or share that sort of information as well, uh, because that's consistent with what I've seen uh, the entire time that I've been studying racism, white supremacy is consistent with what I've heard uh, from other folks. I also thought it was interesting that they included in that, that a lot of times black people will not apply, non-white people in general will not apply because they think that they're going to be rejected. So they don't even, you know, make an effort to go out and try to get a loan or what have you to start up a business. And then they added that, yes, black people, non-white people are disproportionately uh, rejected for loans, even if they have the same amount of income and wealth, debt, whatever, when they look at the ratios and all that, even when their financial portfolio is comparable to that of a white person who would get a loan, they're still more likely to be rejected. I thought that was important as well, because that's why. You have a lot of non-white people who just say, hey, I already know that they're not going to give me the money, which in many instances is true, unfortunately. Two percent, two percent, that number stood out. It was glaring for me because also workplace racism related. That is the number of black male teachers <clears throat> that we have in the U.S. Might even be a little lower than that. Just wrote about that uh, this week. Man, workplace racism. Um, one other thing I will share, uh, and then I have uh, people did write in for workplace racism. I'm going to read one, and then we'll get to the phone lines. Uh, but one thing that I did, I've been meaning to share this for some time, my own bit of workplace racism. So I've been writing for Atlanta Black Star for some time. I wrote for them uh, some years before as well. Uh, I'm compensated for writing for them. So they mail me a check right, for writing for them. Just, I think, in April, so it, you know, two months ago, two and a half months ago, I don't get my check. I contact uh, the payroll department. Check never arrived. Uh, and they say, oh, okay, uh, no problem. They're super businesslike about it at Atlanta Black Star. You know, our apologies. We did mail it out on such and such a date. But if you didn't get it, no problem. We'll cancel uh, the check we sent out. Send you a new one. No problem. Uh, they verify the address. Tell them, you know, I will... <clears throat> I will notify you uh, once it arrives. Mail out a new check. Kid you not. The very same weekend that the new check arrives, the old check also arrives. In fact, they're in the mailbox at the same time. I look at the old check. I've never seen this before in my life, ever, ever. And if it has happened to anyone who is on the line, Uh, I would be curious to know, even though this might not necessarily be related to workplace racism directly, but I mean, it was that strange. The original check that was first mailed out had stamped on it in blue ink, missent to Taipei. I'm stunned. (laughs) What are you talking about? Like, I'm scratching my head. Like, is there someplace in the U.S. (laughs) that, uh, you know, is named Taipei, where my mail could have gone. Like, are you serious? I'm stunned. I, you know, I wanted to photograph it and like put it, <clears throat> put it on social media or something, and just because I've never had that happen before. I've had, you know, mail that was delayed and that sort of thing, mail that I thought I didn't get or what have you. But to actually have mail that was missent out of the country and a payroll check, no less, that is missent out of the country. Wow. Now, if this is, you know, hey, this is not that big a deal. Gus, you're just goofy because, you know, you don't get enough mail. You don't pay attention to enough things. Uh, I get my mail missent to, you know, Alaska, Canada, 
Mexico, Cancun, happens to me all the time. No big deal. <laughs> Fine. Let me, and that'll just let me know. Oh, okay. That was just, you know, I've been a little bit, you know, amiss in my understanding of how mailing works. And, you know, if something is missent, where it could be missent to. Moving forward. Uh, one of the folks who wrote in uh, for Workplace Racism, and again, until justice at gmail.com. Uh, last week for Workplace Racism, we opened with a segment from Kathy Harris, uh, her visit to the cows. This was back in, I think, 2013. We talked about her experience. She was a TSA worker. And we talked about uh, her experience uh, working like baggage claim and you have to, or not baggage claim, I'm sorry, uh, when you have to do the pat downs and such, right? You have to search people and do all that uh, to make sure they're not, uh, you know, terrorist threat and that sort of thing. Uh, she talked about the racism that she experienced both as an employee and what she saw happening to other black employees. And uh, she talked about the abuse uh, that she saw happening to black passengers. And specifically, she talked about uh, black female passengers going to the Caribbean. Uh, she said that they would be aggressively targeted for all types uh, of searches, anal cavity searches and rifling all through their uh, packages and what have you. Said, oh, man, you got to be, you know, smuggling narcotics or something, uh, you know, uh, that they didn't do this to anybody else. There'd be tons of white people who were bringing in all kinds of drugs and what have you, contraband, and they would not be subjected to these types of intrusive searches at all. So I played a little bit of that segment last week for workplace racism. A listener wrote in, uh, he says, I was a baggage handler at an airport in New York City during the 1990s when the Air Jamaica flight came in. I would see female customs officers putting on plastic gloves like they were surgeons. I didn't know why, so I asked an old-timer why they were doing this. He told me, because they are going to dig in those women's private parts. This was done for no other flight. Uh, Alitalia and Air France went through customs quickly, even though everybody knew all the heroin was coming in on those two flights, but Air Jamaica would be there for hours. The passengers would be subjected to customs dogs sniffing them and their children, and no other flight got that type of attention. Passengers on that flight, flight complained to me about it and told me that dogs were brought on the plane in Jamaica and New York. Another person uh, corroborating, again, Kathy Harris, you can go back in the archives to hear uh, her full broadcast. You can uh, check out her books as well. She, uh, she has written extensively uh, about some of the things that she saw, things that happened to her, things she saw happening, racism, white supremacy she saw happening uh, to passengers as well. You can check out her books as well. But uh, that was uh, another person writing in about their workplace observations also. Uh, we'll get to the phone lines. We have uh, Stacy with us in the UK. I'm going to double check to make sure uh, the stream uh, is working correctly. Uh, and if you are having any difficulties via the live stream, you can always uh, call uh, the live line, uh, 641-715-3640. And the code is 564-943-POUND. Uh, you can press star six if you would like to participate, or you can just listen there uh, if you are having uh, any trouble listening uh, on the live stream, Black Talk Radio Network, or tune in. Uh, folks who dialed in with a hand up, if you have commentary uh, that you wanted to share, line should be open. Uh, feel free to chime in.
May I be heard? Can I be heard? I uh, heard both of you. Uh, we'll yeah, ladies first, the... ladies first. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. Um, hello to you, Gus, the host, and to all the callers and listeners of the line, and thanks to the gentleman that yielded the, the line to me. Just wanted to comment. You talked about this paycheck of yours that was sent halfway around the world. And I, I just want to tell you, so I, would, I would never forget this. And this was a job I was much younger. I ended up getting fired from this job. But I remember we used to get paid. I was a security guard at a hospital in Houston, Texas. And so we used to get paid and, um, you know, you had to go in office and, um, you know, sign this thing. And, I, and so when the secretary would hand me the check, I would always make a little joke and say, you sure you don't have another check in there for me? And we would laugh, you know, about it. So one time I went in, and I was having some trouble on the job, having some trouble with my supervisors and stuff. And um, I remember I asked her. She gave me my paycheck. And I asked her, I said, you sure you don't have another one, another check for me? And she says, I do. I do. Handed another, had another check for me. So I took the check, and, you know, I walked away, and I'm just like, uh, something ain't right about this because I should not be getting two checks. There was no vacation, you know, nothing I had applied for. And um, I took that check, so I took the check down, and I took it back to HR. I took the check to HR, and I was telling the lady, this is why. So she, she took the check. She said, okay, well, you know, I'll investigate it. So that was, like, in the early 80s, and yet I guess you could say I'm still waiting for an explanation as to why it happened. So you're not able to get an explanation. But, <laughs> but my whole point was I was having some trouble on the job at that time. I was having some trouble with my supervisors and stuff like that. And I was just pointing out how, and particularly as black people, we have to be careful because these are the type of games that we play, that, that they play with us, you know, an extra check that comes out of nowhere. And unfortunately, a lot of times, well, unfortunately, there are times that black people, we get caught right in that trap because we take that check, we cash that check, and the next thing you know, your company's looking at you, and now they're going to fire you because why? It becomes a form of theft. So, you know, I just wanted to share that and, you know, just, you know, even though, I don't know if you can say it's workplace racism. I am a black, you know, female. You know, I guess it could happen with anybody, but I will say I was having some problems. You know, on my job, um, I was young, out of college, having trouble. I had a white female boss. And, you know, nowadays I understand, you know, working with these female she-doubles. But, uh, you know, back then, you know, just clueless. You know, I, I just clueless, didn't have a clue as to, you know, what was going on with this woman, you know, why when the very second I think she was married to I think she was married to a black guy. Or either she she was married to a black guy or there was somebody in her family who was married to a black guy because uh she had a niece that worked uh in security with us and she was biracial. And so, um I just, just wanted to share that because I remember that and I remember it just like it happened you know, yesterday, and when you were saying, you know, about a check that you got back that was sent, you know, halfway around the world, and I just know that sometimes these are some of the games uh, that that are played with us. Because like you say, for you, a lost check in the mail, and you know how we plan out our budgets with our money, you know, that type of stuff can just throw us way off of schedule for rent to be paid, utilities to be paid, and everything like that. And this is, you know, it's just part of their arsenal that they have. But um, I'll mute myself and just want to thank you for taking my call. But I just felt that I wanted to share that and just give that warning to people because that I I because I've I've heard of cases of people you know getting a second check and they take that check and they 
cash it and spend it, and then they're complaining when they get fired. It's just like, but you know that wasn't your check, and we fall right into those traps. Anyway, I'll mute myself. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, uh, caller in Ohio. Yeah, very, very important. No free, uh, no free dollars for black people generally under the system of white supremacy. There should be a lot of suspicion. Uh, that's when I'm even reminded of Mr. Fuller where you get uh, maybe you take a group picture with the CEO of the company and the head of the payroll department and the head of HR department, and they all come and take a photograph with you together saying, yes, you were supposed to get two, che- two checks uh, this week, and we all say that that's okay. You can go cash it right now, and we're all going to take our photograph and get this notarized immediately. That's when you go ahead and take that check and cash it. That's, I think, what Mr. Paul would say. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, I think, uh, I'm not sure, was that retired firefighter who spoke up simultaneously? Uh, yes, sir. Okay, right on. Can I be, uh, I guess I could be heard. Uh, I'm on Bluetooth. Just wanted to make sure. Uh, yeah, I, uh, was doing some, uh, brainstorming, uh, you know, I drive around a lot, uh, going back and forth for different things and, uh, uh, and, uh, just gave it a thought on back 40 years ago. Well, we know we're in, we're, we're in kind of like in the middle of getting too close to the middle of the summer and, uh, we all know. Well, I would figure most of us would know that uh, black teenagers are probably the lowest uh, on employment. And during the summer months, that becomes even more essential because now a lot of young people are not uh, on their on their uh, uh, mainstream job, which is going to school for the most part, during the summer months. Uh, I can recall back 40-some-odd years ago when I was a teenager, there was much more, it seems to, seems to have been much more employment with teenagers. I'm talking specifically talking about black teenagers than it is today, as far as for what I can see. Uh, and uh, one, of the, one of the jobs that... Uh, uh, was available was something that was called Teen Clean. Uh, I don't I don't know on how far that traveled within the northwestern hemisphere, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was very popular. Uh, where whereas you would uh, report to a uh, a uh, area and you'll be giving given a. a a, a garbage bag and uh, a, a one of those poke sticks, and uh, you will walk through the community, literally where you grew, where you live at, and cleaning up, and you will get paid for it. You will get compensated for it. Uh, now, uh, in my mind, back during that time, that was very constructive because it would it would uh, basically help out uh, the parents as far as buying school clothes for, for, for that year, or at least some of them, uh, because you would be able to purchase your own clothes during that time. Uh, and, uh, and the other things that go along with uh, a person working uh, and earning uh, uh, some compensation for it that goes along with it is very constructive. Uh, and as I was driving 
uh, over the past week, I, I got a thought because I think I'm not the only person that sees it. I think what replaced it is actually what takes place is they have people in greater confinement to do that job nowadays. I see it all the time down here in, in the in South Florida of uh, people in greater confinement who are uh, picking up trash. Now, there seems to be a lot of times when I observe that with the with the uh, the van, the van or pickup truck. That's the that's the quote unquote correction correctional officer, and he is supervising the inmates there in jumpsuits and whatnot. Uh, I'm a, uh, uh, what I see a lot of is people who appear to be in, inmates who appear to be white that actually that that does that that job and and the way I look at it from that standpoint is that uh, instead of the blacks getting picked to be able to get I think it's, I think it's more or less would be somewhat of a uh, uh, a better situation to be be able to get out of the the, the, the the sales or whatever and work and that sort of thing. And I see some whites some whites who are actually in prison who, who are doing the work. But nevertheless, even so, even with the black ones, even with the black uh, inmates who are out there, uh, we also know, and it's in the Constitution itself, that, uh, you know, a felon, a convicted felon is, no, is, is a slave in itself. Uh, so I think that's where that job, that job went. They're just just making a, a correlation uh, or job similar to that, you know, uh, 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 go. I think it, it went to, to that particular direction. Uh, on the, uh, the the employment that I have of uh, a football coach, the white male, uh, white male who has actually had the position of assistant uh, athletic director, uh, at the time, I think I reported uh, maybe about a, almost a year ago now that I basically, uh, by my questioning him in a meeting where he kept uh, rudely questioning the head football coach who was like a legendary high school football coach in the state of Florida about what he, what he does, and I basically uh, informed him on, hey, I mean, you make a choice. If you, if you, don't, want, if you don't like what he does, you don't have to coach. And he stormed out of the room. Well, he eventually he left to go to a uh, another high school, which is glad for me to hear. <laughs> and uh, the athletic director, uh, who was a buddy of his, also went with him to the same school. And uh, so that was uh, uh, basically uh, a move by these uh, two white gentlemen, I guess, who couldn't take couldn't take the atmosphere anymore uh, in the present place where they were at, at the high school that uh, I uh, work at. Uh, and, uh, yeah, those, those, are, those are all the things that I uh, experienced and or thought of this week. And thank everybody for listening. For sure, retired firefighter. I remember you speaking about the uh, white coach and, you know, the uh, black self-respect and how you uh, were able to stand up to him and that caused him to move along and, you know, find better pasture. Uh, so you don't have to be bothered with him anymore. Granted, he, he has moved on. And that first, the first part of what you were talking about in terms of the summer jobs, 
I just uh, saw there was just a report where they were talking about in general that has been the trend where you just have you just don't have as many younger people out working. And they said some of that was uh, back in 2008 when they had the big what they call recession uh, that that job sector was hit really hard uh, and that it didn't really recover on uh, the same thing that you said particularly for black uh, teens, non-white teens in general, but especially black teens, you do not have nearly uh, the level of employment for that group that you had, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. And for sure, uh, supplement income and school supplies, absolutely, absolutely. Um, other folks who dialed in with a hand up, uh, Stacy in the UK, are you with us as well? Maybe she's not with us. I'll check in. I thought she was with us. I'll check in with her as we proceed. Other folks who uh, dialed in who have a hand up, if you have commentary, you should be with us as well. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, greetings, everybody. Uh, 2812 from Virginia. A um, couple of observations, um, very, very much work-related. I was... Um, I was in uh, Atlantic City over the weekend. Uh, fiance and I took a trip out there to go to a concert, and we uh, always try to do our best to find uh, black establishments, uh, specifically black uh, um, restaurants to try to go eat and support. And we found a restaurant. Uh, it's called Sam's. Uh, it's in Pleasantville, I believe. It's really nice, uh, good service, really great food, and. Um, we always try to figure out a way to talk about racism, white supremacy, or just to talk about things that can, you know, help black people. And so there was a gentleman there that was working there, and he was taking our order. And if anybody has been to Atlantic City, they know that um, if they've been there recently, uh, a lot of the casinos have closed and stuff like that. So I was, I've never been there, actually. That was my first time going in maybe 20, you know, 20 years since I was a teenager. And so... I just asked the guy, I was like, hey, um, by the way, like, what's the economy out here like? You know, what's the job situation out here like for black people? And he was like, well, you know, they've closed like five casinos in the last four years, and he said the unemployment rate is like through the roof. He said 30,000 majority black people are not working, and that that area of the world kind of looks like uh, an episode of the first 48 and it does not get reported like that. And I said, are you saying 30,000, like, black? He said the majority of people in that area, uh, 30,000 people unemployed since these casinos have closed down. And, you know, you, you just think about the system of racism, white supremacy, and I know some people might not directly attribute that to workplace racism, but I'm just like, you know, all these people not working, drugs, white supremacists are... Are, are just treating this area like nothing can be done and just crime is rampant, and then in a couple of years they'll just go in, clean everything up, and, and kick the Negroes out. So we were both just sitting there, wow. You know, we hear about statistics like that, but to actually hear somebody talk about specifically a local area to where you have so many black people that are affected in the area of employment, uh, that, that was really, really sad, and hopefully those people can gain some sort of employment and some people have some constructive ideas about things to do. Um, had opportunity, um, taught a class last week, um, have been helping a lot of non-white people um, in reference to, I'm in the mortgage business, have had a lot of clients. Uh, 
one quick story about a black female that was able to, uh, she was uh, a manager at a fast food job, and now she is a, she was able to apply for another job, and she gave herself almost double of her salary in about a week. And she told me that story, and I was just very, very happy, and um, that's just encouragement for anybody out there that's possibly looking for opportunities in this system. They are out there. You just have to kind of take a little bit of jump and a leap. Uh, caller in Virginia, are you still with us, sir? Uh, caller in Virginia, are you still with us, sir? Hello? Oh. Can, I, can I be heard? So, yes, sir. Sorry about that. I think your mute button might have been me. I don't know if my finger slipped or what have you, but yes. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was the Siri girl. The Siri girl hit the mute, not me. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought you was turning the lights on like at a party, man. I was like, okay, I need to be quiet. But no, I was, I was, no, nah, I was done, Gus. Just trying to, you know, share some constructive, constructive information. I'm done. I'm good. I know. Right when he was saying, take a leap on faith, <laughs> that was, uh, whoo. Still take the leap. I thought that was great, though. Very encouraging to hear. I'm happy for her, uh, the black female who doubled uh, her salary uh, in in a week or what have you. And yes, things can be very dire uh, under the system. I mean, that's what they intend uh, for it to be, you know, extremely horrendous uh, for non-white people worldwide, uh, particularly in employment, because that, you know, has an impact on so many other things that we try to get done uh, worldwide. Uh, other folks. Who dialed in? Who have uh, a hand up? Other folks uh, who had commentary? Know if we had people who had a hand up and uh, needed some time, or were still thinking, let me double check in as well. Stacy, are you with us, or did we miss out on Stacy? might have missed out. I will message her to make sure that she uh, is hearing us, that we're getting through. Let's, uh, didn't want to miss her commentary. I also wanted to make sure the audio segment that we started at the beginning of the program with, uh, not the one that was about finances and uh, what they call minority business owners being denied loans and what have you, but the second clip that talked about the water department in Chicago, where they filed a class action uh, lawsuit because they're saying the, that they were being terrorized on the job. The black employees were being terrorized. Um, they said that they were sub- subject to a poisonous work environment where black or, black workers were spit on, ignored. Uh, they said that they were making uh, sexual sexually uh, vile comments uh, towards the black female uh, employees, that they were being denied seniority. I mean, they had a long list of very uh, specific indictments uh, about what was happening to them on the job. I thought this was uh, extremely important. Number one, uh, when I say consistently, you know, it shouldn't be that we have spectators uh, for workplace racism because this sort of thing is very, very common. Uh, I don't think, you know, the situation that they were talking about is, is something unusual or strange at all. Uh, because, and it was so many things and it was so detailed and specific about the type of things that they were uh, experiencing and 
this was a class action suit. This wasn't an individual. This was a group of people saying, yes, this has been happening, and this has been happening for a while, uh, and nothing being done about it. And at the water department, no less, after the whole thing in Flint, you know, to have this sort of thing going down at the water department, uh, wow. But I thought that was really important, uh, and just the importance of documentation. Uh, I don't know if they have recordings uh, of any of these type of statements being said or, you know, they documented. I mean, that would be tremendous. You've got seven different people uh, who all documented on, you know, July 1st. Uh, Mr. Tom Robinson came in and, you know, said such and such a joke about nigga this or nigga that or whatever, you know, all the different things that they item. It would be great if you had seven different pieces of documentation, date, time, this is what he said, and you got almost verbatim. Everybody's got pretty close to the same type of thing written down as to what they heard. I mean, that would be awesome uh, from, you know, if you're the attorney that's uh, prosecuting this case. That's you know, makes your case great. Uh, just to really emphasize, again, the importance of documentation. And it sounds like they might have been in a situation where they were able to coordinate their efforts. Uh, that is not something that you want to anticipate or expect, but man, if you can do that sort of thing, if you have a good rapport with other folks there, just if you can just encourage documenting when these sort of things happen, it doesn't mean that you have to go get an attorney or anything. Just keep documentation uh, of things that happen. If they hear something or they witness something, just document, just write it down. That can be a huge asset um, even moving uh, forward. And again, since that sexual thing came up, that's why I also think it's really important to make sure that you have a code about that because they said that uh, the black female workers were being subjected to sexual comments and what have you. What do you say? What do you do? I think Emmy has been great if it's some form of uh, touching in terms of, hey, you already practice your, your move, your physical move away from that person and, you know, do not touch me, make sure you say it firm or whatever, you know, you practice how you want to phrase whatever you're going to say, you can practice that too. Uh, but if they're saying something to you that's inappropriate, go ahead and codify the exact response and write down what they said, uh, time, date, all of that pertinent information. Did folks, because I thought that was really, really uh, important. And this is in Chicago. This is in a big city. I don't know if that, you know, became big news, the water department having a, a scandal like that. Uh, did folks have any commentary uh, based on, on this report? You know, how you would encourage or suggestions dealing with any of these uh, types of things, them making sexual comments and what have you, or being denied seniority on the job. They had so many, uh, in, or they had so many allegations of wrongdoing. Did folks have any response to that or thoughts on that piece? This is something you ran pre pre broadcast. Yes, sir. It was the second uh, audio clip uh, where it was talking about the water department. Uh, the report I can it gives some of the details. Seven African American employees in the Chicago Department of Water filed a class action lawsuit in federal court today. The plaintiffs say they were subjected to they were subject to a poisonous work environment where black workers were spit on and ignored every single day. In the complaint, the workers claimed they were passed over or denied promotions in favor of white employees or workers from other plants and were not given the opportunity to transfer if they were unhappy. They alleged they were subjected to racial slurs and sexually harassed because of their race. 
two employees who spoke to reporters today, one a 30-year veteran and another a 40-year veteran of the department, say they were nameless and faceless every day while they were responsible for bringing millions of Chicago residents fresh water. Today, they say they are no longer voiceless. The plaintiffs are seeking more oversight within the department. They are not putting a monetary number on specific damages yet. The plaintiff's attorney says they've already gotten calls from more than 30 other water department employees saying they, too, were subject to what they are calling a hostile work environment for decades. End of this report. I can post it if, if folks want, want to share. In the audio segment at the beginning, you just got to hear from some of the workers and them talking directly about, as I said, being denied seniority and uh, black female workers being sexually harassed, some of the indignities and terrorism they experienced for decades. You got 30 and 40 year employees here. Yeah, it, it's, it sounds like on a uh, broad level that they are doing the right right thing. Uh, I would I would say internally uh, to because there's no guarantees on on anything. Of course, we we understand that it's non-white victims of racist white supremacy who are who are literally powerless as individuals uh, in these type of situations, but. Uh, uh, perhaps if there is also to an individual enough of physical evidence, meaning uh, uh, audio-visual, you know, audio uh, examples, uh, you know, of these different uh, individual incidents, uh, paperwork, uh, a, a paperwork path of showing. Uh, Evidence towards uh, the uh, the allegations uh, in that light, there have been some success in past uh, instances that have taken place on 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 a job. But uh, I would uh, be in a, I would warn anybody who who may not know. I've, I'm assuming a lot of people, a lot of non-white people, know that. It's nothing's automatic when it comes to uh, 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 in our situations of getting any any semblance of justice uh, in, in in the light was workplace racism or any other criminal activity that white people do on a daily basis. But uh, to be as, as tight tight on the uh, accumulation of uh, of evidence as possible, you know and. Uh, but I, I think that it, it sounds like they're doing the the the, the right thing, and it, and it, it and by it being the a lot of what I would say a lot of people that that is coming involved, uh, that uh, I think that's a that's a good thing. I don't know. Right on. Other folks uh, who dialed in have comments, thoughts about the the incident with Chicago. Touch. I think. They hit on a lot of the things that we talk about here on a regular basis that people call in and report that they're having problems with in terms of uh, the sexual comments, being denied uh, promotions, being denied transfers, uh, just poisonous work environment, as they said, uh, any other uh, kind. This is at the water department. This is not some, you know, little whatever rinky-dink outfit. This is in Chicago, no less, major city, millions of people uh, where you've had this going on. Any, any other thoughts on this piece? Thank <laughs> you. 
I, I, since nobody else is saying anything, I, I would say additionally, if the if the uh, uh, individual defendants uh, don't personally know one another, I would I would I would think that that was that's actually would be an advantage if they don't know each other personally. Being of something as huge as the water department in a major city, I would figure that that uh, mo if not most of them don't even know each other personally and by them bringing their individual uh cases and it's and and it it, it can show a pattern that you know hey this is this is happening not just with this person the same thing happened with this person over here uh that that it would it would uh perhaps show some evidence that this is something that is actually uh a consciously constructed uh, uh, environment, uh, which 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 actually is you know the practice of racist white supremacy. You know, it's always they use as a as a defense mechanism. Oh, that that's just something that uh, uh, arbitrarily came up, but it doesn't happen a lot. You know, that sort of thing. Or so and so didn't know what they was doing. They didn't know they was affecting someone like that. You know, uh, that that's how they would probably defend. Uh, their behavior, but uh, yeah, hopefully, I made some sense on that. Absolutely, absolutely. I uh, and I mean, at the end, they said that since they filed this class action suit and have stepped forward publicly, that I think thirty additional people uh, called or stepped forward to say that they, you know, also have had these sort of problems. So I mean, it's hard for me mm -hmm. to imagine, you know, thirty-five, forty people. Uh, all getting together and conspire. I mean, I don't know what, you know, if, if they're getting together at a library or what, I mean, it's hard to somebody have a house big enough to accommodate 40 people uh, all coming to hang out at the same time. Right. Department. I mean, that that is impressive uh, alone if they were able to pull that off. But yeah, I mean, that, that just sounds like the system of white supremacy in play. Birds chirp, dogs bark, Arc white people practice racism, white supremacy. That sounds exactly like what it is. And uh, you had these seven folks, and they said that they've been going through this for years, thirty years, forty years. I mean, I, or I can. It makes sense. It's just, it's, I'm not that old, but I mean, that is that is the existence of generations of black people working on a job and enduring white terrorism for thirty, forty years of nigger jokes and sexual harassment and denied raises and denied promotions. I mean, that is whole generations of grandparents and great grandparents and moms and uncles and aunts. Uh, that was their whole life. That's why we're doing this program to try to solve some of those problems. Because I mean, this is a gargantuan issue under racism, white supremacy and something we should be devoting time and energy. Again, we should not have a whole lot of spectators. I want to make sure I remind folks this is not the broadcast. Uh, just hang out, and I'm just going to, you know, listen in, see what they have to say. That's not what this is for. Uh, any non-white person in the world, if you have a job, have had a job, think you might want to be employed at some point, this is going to be a major concern for you. Uh, if things are working out well on the job for you right now, tremendous. I'm glad for you, but I would encourage you to still be mindful, be paying attention to things that happen around you, because uh, I'm sure racism, white supremacy is being practiced in your area, and just other things to be mindful of in the job, always super important. 
Uh, other folks uh, have commentary, your own situation or uh, suggestions. Uh, if you have figured out some things that work well, we always uh, need to hear that policy and procedure related as well. Any other folks have commentary? Still seeing hands up while folks are spectating or whatever they're doing, uh, maybe enjoying the summer sunshine. Some of the folks who uh, wrote in, oh, I missed my email tab. In one second to get scroll back to my email and I can pull up some of the other uh, workplace racism folks that uh, commentary that people wrote in. Uh, let's see. Okay. Other workplace racism uh, commentary from folks. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is Black Male. He's written in before. I think he's called in as well uh, with some of the, the issues, problems he's faced on the job. Uh, he wrote in as well. His commentary, uh, I was approached by a white female and her white husband. She asked me to pull uh, shoe sizes for her. One size would be for her to try and the other to buy for her daughter. After they took a seat and I brought her the shoes, I left while she tried them on. I checked up on her and was sent on a second trip of and was sent on a second trip uh, to run to get what she wanted. I dropped off the next shoes and left again. We had no discussion other than what she wanted, the shoe sizes. Her husband stayed silent the whole time and just looked at me when I came. Not so long after my last delivery, the woman made up her mind. She brought a pair of shoes to check out to the checkout line alone. Her white husband was still sitting down. I walked up in front of her to see if she was ready to check out. She had the pair of shoes she wanted to buy out in her hands and cell phone out to take a camera picture to text to her daughter. After taking the picture with me still standing in front of her, she told me she was ready to check out. While I was ringing up her merchandise, she kept mentioning how she was buying this for her daughter and how she spoiled and, and how she was spoiled and how lucky she was. She told me she was 25 and still got things from her mother. She went on and on about her daughter. So I asked her, how many daughters do you have? She says, just one. Our sales team is trained to use a technique called celebrating the sale. So after I comp uh, completed the sale with her, I told her, I hope your daughter likes the shoes. She replied, no question about it. She will love the shoes although I'm sure she would rather have had you instead. But don't worry, I haven't sent her your picture yet. Mm. I was caught off guard and sort of laughed it off. I did not reply and walked away into the stock room without making much more eye contact after that. I remembered a report when practicing racism is sexually arousing for white people, male and female. I suspected she knew her daughter Having me in the system of white supremacy was an act of racism and incorrect, but because racism is entertainment for white people, her soliciting me to her daughter to have me would have been a form of entertainment. Who knows? Maybe the white father would never know. It reminded me of a lesson Neely Fuller Jr. gives. The system of white supremacy is like a prison system. She knew nothing about me other than how I looked and that I was black. 
She was the warden visiting my cell and had a key. Insisting on an encounter between myself and her white daughter would have been an act of a prisoner engaging in improper contact with the prison master white, which I would receive no constructive result out of, become confused about racism, the prison system, and think this system is not so bad after all. And since the warden, whites, let me free to have sex with whites, this is not a prison after all. It's fun. Here she was buying a shoe for her daughter, would use for a day and put back in the box after she was done, the prison cell, and suggesting her daughter might want me instead. For what? To use at her convenience and put back when she was done with me prison cell. Since I've started listening to the cows, I've recorded notes on racism on the job between myself, co-workers, and customers. Bravo. I'm giving my uh, easy golf clap. That is outstanding. Taking notes. Just something as simple as that. Like I said, it doesn't have to be that you're writing a novel. Uh, you're not writing a book or a thesis. It doesn't have to be super detailed. I think we've had folks who said, hey, you can literally invest five minutes, 10 minutes, Right now, I mean, just a few sentences, you know, time, date. You just need the pertinent information to, to capture the gist of it, and it can be invaluable. Your memory is not as good. None of us. Our memory is not as good as we think. Stress and racism can really uh, rob us of some of our uh, most efficient functioning. So take advantage. they got all this technology uh, where you can store information. Jot it down, make a few notes, and just keep it organized uh, so that you can come back to it when you need it and get the details. Uh, also, just in this encounter, I think uh, he brilliant uh, analysis. Uh, I think another aspect of, of the sex thing coming up on the job, which we just heard in the water department sketch as well, or not sketch the, the allegations at the water department in Chicago. Uh, but I think with the support as well, I think he hit it right on the head uh, in terms of what was happening uh, in this encounter. Uh, and I think, if anything, uh, for folks who work in retail, might be good to keep this in mind uh, that this could have, I would say, doesn't even have to be retail, any sort. Uh, if you have any sort of employment uh, where you know you're going to be coming in contact with white people, to keep that in mind, uh, that it, you know, it does not seem to be unusual or strange uh, for a white person to sexually proposition a black person on the job in a very crude way. Sometimes they can be very flattering about it. Sometimes they can be very joking and humorous about it. But this sort of thing seems to happen all the time. So maybe all of us should make sure that, okay, let me already think about that. You know, if someone comes at me, if a white person comes at me with a comment like that, what am I going to say to this person? Uh, you can tailor it for your context, the way you, the way you might respond if you're self-employed, and this is a white vendor, might be very different if you're, you know, working as a retailer, right? Your, your response might be very different, but just that way you're not caught off guard and you can think in advance, okay, this is pretty common. This is something I might have to deal with. This is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'll deal with that in the future. Any comments, suggestions on uh, what our caller uh, wrote in being propositioned uh, over a pair of shoes? Greetings. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, greetings, Gus. Uh, this is uh, Jay from New York. Uh, greetings to the callers and the listeners. Um, wanted to chime in real quick, and I'll try and address the last um, letter that you read. Um, wanted to double back to what uh, the firefighter was talking about in reference to summer jobs for um, kids that are out of school. Um, I kind of recall back 
in Brooklyn. Um, I had applied for a position at Blockbuster. I don't know how many people remember. There used to be a chain of video stores called Blockbusters. Um, really popular. So I had um, I probably had, by that time applying for that job, I probably had about three other jobs throughout other summers. Um, so I had a lot of job uh, work experience, had references from the other jobs. So I applied. They called me back, and they said I had to do a drug screen. Um, I said, all right. So I went in. Um, I kept a low haircut. Um, so the guy said, um, we got a sample from your hair um, on your head, but I don't think, and this was a racist white supremacist, and, of course, at that time I was extremely confused. Um, so he said, the sample is not enough uh, that we've gathered from your hair, uh, so we're going to have to get it from another location on your body. So I'm kind of like looking at my body thinking maybe I can grab it from my leg or something like that um, because I wasn't going to, you know, in his presence, pull it from anywhere else. So he says, um, more than likely you're probably going to have to, um, you know, get a pubic hair um, and get that to us, but because um, somebody had to see you, um, you know, get the the hair, like, I have to I have to take it. And I'm like, no. Like, you know, at that point, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm 16 at this time. Uh, so I had taken a bus down to the location, um, and I said to myself, I, I sat there and thought for a little while, and, of course, he's like, hey, you know, we could start you tomorrow. And at this point, he's getting a little too happy. You know, with the position that I'm in as I'm kind of trying to think about it. He's like, we can probably get you started tomorrow. All I need is that sample. It'll be quick. Um, you know, I'll just go in. We can go into the back room. And I'm just sitting there saying to myself, all the things that my parents taught me, this just doesn't sound right, and it's a no. So I tell them, no, I'm going to go home, talk to my parents about it. So I go home, and the first thing uh, my dad says is, um, he did the right thing, and then he actually put me in a car with him, and we drove back down to the Blockbuster, and uh, he gave um, this suspected rights supremacist uh, kind of a piece of his mind for even kind of um, insinuating that I do that, especially, you know, I'm under 18, um, you know, to have that done. So I just wanted to kind of bring that story up to, to even show the types of things that they're doing um, you know, to kids at an early age. And this person couldn't have been that old themselves. I'm thinking, you know, early 20s, uh, they were a supervisor at the location. Um, in reference to the Chicago uh, water, um, water work environment, it's interesting as I think about individuals going two to three decades brings me back to a movie, Gus, and I forget the name of it, but I watched it after hearing about it on this show about a um, non-white person who came in, and, and it's kind of filmed, I guess, in the 40s or the 30s, um, went into an environment where there are a ton of non-black people working with a ton of racist white supremacists in the environment that were making jokes and saying a ton of bad things. And this one non-white person got into the environment, and the other workers were just telling them, just deal with it, just go along with it, you know, we're, we're working, don't cause any trouble. And that's kind of what this situation at the water plant reminded me of. Probably a ton of people that had been there for years, and every time a new person came in, probably just said, just go along with it. Don't, you know, 
don't, you know, kind of ruffle any feathers, don't make any trouble uh, for the rest of us in here. Um, so that's kind of what it sounded like to me, kind of like pictured right out that movie um, in, in reference to that situation. But um, just wanted to kind of add my two cents on that. I'll mute my line today. I have not heard of that film. Um, it, sound, it reminded me of Mr. Fuller, if they want to get another reference, where I think he's uh, had, I think, numerous segments where he's talked about um, counter-racist codification is, is pretty much designed for that sort of uh, environment, and that's pretty much the exact illustration that he gave, going in some place where they're just nigger jokes all day long. Maybe they're calling you a nigger or other racist names. And uh, that's just, you know, what they live and breathe. That's, you know, along with whatever the company does, that's what they do for their, you know, eight hour or 10 hour workaway. That's what it's going to be. You know, we make violins and tell racist jokes. We make tires and tell racist jokes. We fix cars and tell racist things. That's, that's what counter racist codification uh, is for. So, be prepared. Uh, do not be surprised at all uh, with regards to the system. Um, other folks uh, have commentary that they wanted to share, uh, either, I guess, suggestions in terms of, of what people have heard from some of the listeners, uh, the uh, caller who or listener who wrote in about uh, the shoe situation where this race soldier female propositioned him. Oh, uh, yikes. That was really painful. Um, who propositioned him on behalf of uh, her daughter uh, or the situation with the Chicago Water Department, or if you had your own situation that you wanted to share, uh, other folks who dialed in, if you had a hand up, you should be with us. We could watch the background noise. That would be helpful. Have you heard? Yes, sir. Good evening. How you doing, Gus? Uh, Carlos, this is The Voice from Florida. Um I really like the uh, fact that you asked them. I think that was a very, very important um, question that you asked, uh, Mr. Fuller, when you asked him if everything is perfect, everything seems perfect, I should say, um, is there any way, are they tacky and terroristic? And he says, yeah, even if it seems like everything is normal, they're still phony. And that's one of the reasons why I stay codified to myself because it's a, every time I encounter with these suspected racists on a daily basis, it's always the greetings are, are phony, it's not genuine, and I just refrain from just even acknowledging them, even having any type of interaction with them as much as possible. And I know, uh, Mr. Fuller, he says, uh, you have to be, um, you know, courteous at all times, even sometimes more courteous than, than they are. Um, but when I am engaged with somebody, I am very courteous. But I thought that was very um, important that you asked them. Um, when it comes down to the, the situation in Chicago with the water, I know when I was working with the company down here, um, we used to, it was uh, just a rotation of different people that had, different issues with the company, and every time we would complain and go to HR, they would go to HR about it, we always see that person just randomly not in the meetings anymore. So me being with this company for 10 years, I've seen a lot of people go through uh, different groups. There's always new faces in the groups. And I remember one time um, there was a group of, of them that was trying, this was like when I just got on 
with the company. It was a group of them that were trying to, a group of, of, of employees that were trying to assemble um, enough people to start a union. Because once you start a union, then a lot of these racist tactics and tackiness that a lot of these uh, white supremacist managers, they're, they're, not, they're not able to enforce a lot of things because of that union. It kind of has your back. So this group that I've observed trying to start enough people to get a union behind this company, one by one over the years, I've just seen them. When they, they, they end up finding out who these individuals were, and just one by one, they were just disappearing in the meeting, just disappearing in the meeting. They'll find other ways to get rid of them. So when I heard um, that they organized, I know that it had to take some, like, real codified uh, signals or meetings to do that because I know once they catch you doing that, they'll find some way to get rid of you, um, uh, you know, just quickly as possible. Um, as far as when it comes down to um, the children um, uh, working, uh, I've noticed my ex had called me recently, and she told me about how um, her son and his cousin, they both applied for um, summer work because they have a summer program out here for the, the youth to be working, and they both applied. Now, she doesn't make as much money as um, her cousin, so her, her son and um, her cousin's son, he wasn't able to get the job. Her son got the job, but the cousin didn't get the job because his mother makes way more than my ex does. So I found that kind of... Be to be weird. I, I don't know what the ramifications is. I don't know what the reason for that is because it's just it's just teens. And I felt like, you know, these two young boys that really want to go out there and just, you know, have a summer job and money in their pockets, but to be default by your parents' income, I've never heard that before. Maybe, um, you know, firefighter or anybody else could, you know, chime in and let me know how does that work because I, I'm just baffled about the new techniques or how they go about things. But I'm in my line, and I also have uh, another update for um, about the, the race situation, and I'll talk about that later. Hmm. Oh, okay. Definitely want to hear about the raise situation. Uh, anybody else that's got information on going about getting a raise, uh, you should definitely be at the front of the queue. Did anybody have commentary on that uh, where they are denying given that is the excuse for not hiring uh, a young person because their parents are gainfully employed? Uh, I, I could be wrong because I'm, you know, I've, I got to, you know, re retract my memory back from 40 years ago. Uh, but I do think with, uh, uh, jobs that are set aside, uh, for, uh, "Quote unquote minors, uh, part time. They have to be part time, and I think at that time, and I'm not sure about the date, but I think during that time, they also uh, it was based on. It's supposed to have been based on priority wise, 
the cult, the, the cumulative income of that family would put you in a better position to get the job, get the job based on, based on uh quote unquote need uh, during that time. We're talking about the, the uh, 19, 1970s. I think it was, it was a, a, uh, aftermath of what Lyndon Johnson was doing and it hadn't totally soaked up yet, you know, from the Vietnam war. Cause of course we know that's where all the money started going, uh, at that point in time, it was done on purpose. It wasn't just like no accident. Oh, oops. We, we got to send this money. They, they knew what they were doing. But, uh, I think, yeah, I think, uh, it was, uh, based on uh, general income, uh, of uh, the parents that gave that particular child more of an advantage of getting that job, and like I say, I'm talking about I'm talking about jobs that are that are come from the uh, local local uh, governmental uh, or city city uh, government and or I don't know if, I don't know, it has a federal connection to it. It had a federal connection to it also. Uh, it was based on. I'm not talking about McDonald's or Burger King. Now that, that right there, uh, I mean, it. They shouldn't even care on on what your parents do. Hmm. Okay. So just making sure I get, I understand. Uh, retired firefighter, you're saying, uh, and this was some time ago, back you know, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. That it might have been, and these were for, I guess, maybe better quality jobs, not flipping burgers or washing dishes uh, with some federal program, maybe that it might have been, you might have had a better chance depending on your parents' income uh, that might have given you a better opportunity to get these jobs. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. 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 Okay. And you, you were making minimum wage at that time. At that time, minimum wage was a dollar and 50 an hour. I never forget that. that. That's how much you were getting an hour, a dollar and 50 an hour at the time. And we're talking about, uh, early to mid seventies. Okay, and the the voice uh, you dialed in from Florida, what yes. you were saying was that the excuse that was being given for not hiring these young black people was that oh your parents are already gainfully employed, so you know you all don't really need a job that much, so we're not going to give you all this job. That's what you're talking about, right? Correct, correct. It's um okay. and, and firefighters is, is pretty much on. Uh, I understand what you're saying, and it sounds about right because it's a it's for the state, um, the local parks. That's who was hiring the local parks for the county. Like you said, the federal might be tied into it, so that makes sense. I appreciate that. Yeah, that 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 would that would kick in. That would kick in on that type of job. You know, a, a job uh, fifting with the summer recreation program over the summer. I didn't. The reason why I didn't have to think about it a whole lot because at that time my mother was a single parent, so with five children. So, uh, you know, I mean, uh, it was going to be a situation uh, with her that that uh, that was going to be, you know, uh, uh, we, we were we weren't going to have a situation where she, where she made abundance of more money than was needed. Uh, well, more money that wouldn't qualify for something like that. So, uh, yeah. I just think they always come up with an excuse to not hire black people, any and all black people, black children, males, females, and they can always come up 
uh, with a reason. Um, I think uh, white children who come from uh, well-off families, if they want a job for the summer, if, I've never heard of them being denied because, you know, nah, you don't need any money, your parents are. I have never heard that at all. <laughs> that is absurd, in my opinion, uh, to just say, yeah, we're not going to hire these young black people because, I mean, what I hear all the time is black people are so lazy. You know, black young people are so lazy and they don't want a job. And, you know, why don't they have any, you know, fortitude to go out and do things? Our generation, that's, you know, the total thing I have. That's what I typically hear. Uh, so to have young people that want to work uh, being denied that opportunity, like, wow, that's uh, white supremacy at work, I would say. Uh, other folks who dialed in uh, who have a hand up, if you had commentary you wanted to share, line should be open. Proceed. Hey, Gus. Yes, sir. Oh, I just wanted to add uh Two, two quick uh, notes uh, in agreement with what Firefighter had just stated. Um, when I was growing up in Queens in New York, they used to have, um, and I think Rod and anybody else, uh, the other caller from Brooklyn can remember, they used to have what was called SYEP, which was a summer youth employment, and there used to be massive. I mean, at the place where we were at in Queens, it would be the armory, and it would just be massive amount of black females, young males and teenagers that would go out for these jobs, I do not see those programs anymore. Uh, my father even said that they've heard, they started to take care, take remove uh, a lot of those programs, and those were in the early 90s. So I think what that gentleman is stating, even in the state of Florida, is probably accurate. Um, the other thing that I wanted to discuss was, um, and it was a clip you played on Saturday, but I've been meaning to say it for a while in reference to uh, PG County. Uh, Prince George County in Maryland, I have a lot of friends, uh, quote-unquote, that live and do are very successful and live out in that particular area. And one of the main ways that uh, people, non-white people, make money there is through what's called uh, government contracts and different government services. And I was talking to a gentleman that works out there, and he has contracts and things of that nature with the government. And we were talking about racism, white supremacy, and he had the same stances. Many other non-white people have is that, you know, economic empowerment and, you know, starting your own business, and that's how you can uh, didn't never say that you can solve racism but almost protect yourself from it. And I remember we were talking, and I said, well, who controls the minority contracts? And he said, what do you mean? I said, who controls if black people get the money? He said, the government. And I said, okay, well, the government, isn't that white people? And he started laughing. And I said, so if white people ever decided that we don't, well, we're going to try to get a creative way to remove you Negroes from getting money, it'd be accurate to say that you wouldn't have that many businesses anymore. And he said, I never thought of it like that. And even in those particular areas, I always remember Mr. Fuller talks about it, is that even when you think you're not supporting the system of white supremacy, you're supporting the system of white supremacy. Because also a lot of those businesses, because it's in Washington, D.C., which is really the reason why that PG County hub is very successful, is because they're connected to the federal government. Well, the federal government is just the, the, the law arm of the system of racism, white supremacy. So you have a lot of people that are, uh, I know a guy, that he owns a defense contracting company, does very, very well for himself. But the whole basis of that company is selling weapons to go do what? Nine times out of ten, they're going to go shoot or kill some non-white people. 
So any way that we look at it, um, it's all about the system of racism, white supremacy, and I've been meaning to, to bring that up for a while, but I just thought it was important since you played that clip on Saturday. I'll be in my life. I think the, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the clip he was talking about, uh, wait a minute, I got confused about my clips. I thought he was talking about the, the clip where they were uh, investigating that area for, I think the school, they were saying they think it was fraud in the school system, but I don't think yep, that was. The yeah, that's the one. Oh, okay. <laughs> Woohoo! Should have trusted myself. Yes. Yes, from, uh, from this past. Uh, for this past weekend. Yeah, very prosperous area, black people making a lot of money. I don't know if they're self-employed or just doing, well, as you touched on, working in D.C. probably from being so close to the Capitol, uh, but still being subjected to racism. And their children still being subjected to racism. They just cannot believe that these Negro children are doing so well uh, in school. Got to be cheating. Um, yeah, very good. I'm, I'm glad you were able to uh, have constructive dialogue that didn't lead to fisticuffs and person was able to accept logic uh, about who controls finances. And that was that was, again, even though it wasn't talking about government contracts and what have you. But the same thing uh, was at the beginning clip that I played today, just talking about <clears throat> how non-white business owners uh, just do not get access to the same types of capital. Uh, they just do not allow them to get those type of loans and things to start a business or upgrade, you know improve your business, that sort of thing, grow your business, uh, getting access to more finances. Uh, white people, racist man, racist woman, and racist child, uh, they are dominating right now. That's what we're trying to, the problem we're trying to correct. Uh, do we have other folks uh, who dialed in who had commentary they wanted to share? Uh, if you have a hand up, mine should be open. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Um, this is um, my first time calling. This is the caller from Tennessee. Um, I just had a comment for the caller who said something about starting a union. I'm a union employee, and I just wanted him to know that the union does not protect black people. It's a good old boy system, and they do not protect blacks, which is the reason I got out of the union. And ever since I got out of the union at my company, I've been harassed. I've had a tire flattened. Um... I've had somebody hit my car with a fist, and I know they hit it with a fist because the den is, like, on my fender and hood, like, in the, the crease right there. Like, it's no way I could have hit something and done it. And I, uh, I'm i a little nervous, sorry. But um, I uh, told the security at work about both incidents, and we have cameras. And both times the security told me that they didn't see anything which is impossible. I even asked him if he could tell me when I pulled into work that morning if I had a dent in my car because I seen it when I went out for lunch. But I know when I came to work that morning, I didn't have a dent in my car. Just like the incident with the tire being flat, I know somebody did it who got out the door before me because I could still hear the air coming out the tire when I got to my car. But it's just like a double jeopardy. The uh, the company and the union is all in one. They don't protect black people. And that's it. Wow. Um, first time caller. Thank you so much for dialing in. Um, I, I guess if I could get in two quick questions, caller in Tennessee, that's uh, B. Moore, one of our longtime listeners, investors. That's her former stomping ground. Um, 
two quick questions I wanted to ask, and then if, if folks have any suggestions, because this seems really serious, direct, in my view, violence uh, and terrorism that you're being subjected to. Uh, the first question, did you call the police with regards to your vehicle being damaged? Um, the first time when I called the police, it's a private company, so the police, they have a hard time getting onto the property. Like, they have to go through the security. So, it's really, I don't know, like, even, I don't even know how I could get the police involved. Like, the security is the police at that company. I can't explain it. I try to come back with better details next week, but they like write the security rights reports and just like a police officer would do. Wow. Okay. Well, that, at least that's better information about the, the type of environment that this happened in. Um, is it? Is it? They were. Is it that you're experiencing all of this increased violence and hostility because you left the union? That's what you're thinking is happening? Yes, I do. But even before I left the union, it was all kinds of racism, like Negro written on the walls, um, uh, just even the supervisors. I'm not familiar. I don't know if... Well, I'm in the South, so I don't know if people really know what I'm talking about when I say the good old boy system. It's like the supervisors pick on all the non-white people. Like you have a group of white men in a huddle all day talking, and if like one black person talks to another black person, the, the supervisor come up and just break it up and... It's just crazy. I have a lot. I probably need to write notes so I can give people better details next time I call. But I just really wanted to say something because he was, you know, going on about creating a union and and I just want black people to know that the union doesn't do anything for black people or non white people. Hmm. Wow. I appreciate it and I'm Anyone who's listened to the Workplace Racism Program specifically knows I'm a big advocate of uh, note-taking for the job. I hope I've mentioned that on the program already today. I'm a big advocate of that because exactly what you just said, ma'am, it helps you. You can give specifics. You can be clarity, and you can go right and in-depth because uh, you'll just have your notes. You can just make little bullet points. I'm a big, big fan uh, of that. I think uh, it, I think it's helped me. Uh, I think it's been very, very beneficial for a lot of folks uh, for workplace racism. Anybody have uh, suggestions once it gets that hostile on the job? I know people have talked before about, you know, definitely if it gets to a point where it's compromising your safety and health and well-being to definitely make sure the resume is updated and be thinking, is this something that you really want to remain vested in? Uh, but any suggestions if, you know, she's going to remain here, or at least for the time being, things you would encourage that she do to protect her health, well-being, and property, because uh, that's major property damage, in my opinion, a vehicle. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes. Um, the, the first thing I would ask, um, because I also worked in an environment where they had their own personal security, um, but I would, as we talk about on the show all the time, go back to the, um, the manual, um, your, your, um, your manual, just to check to see what the um, manual speaks to in reference to the security personnel. 
um, because if the security personnel is not allowing the um, sheriff or the police to get involved, uh, then they should have taken um, they should have taken a police report that you could have for your insurance or for whatever claims that you are going to make against that, so that you wouldn't have to um, basically pay out that bill on your own. Um, so I would one go back to the hand guide um, and check on what the role of the security because if they have their own personal security, um, the the hand guide would definitely speak to that in reference to what they're allowed to do on site, uh, because that kind of goes into individual's protection. If something happens to you on the property, et cetera, who you're supposed to call. So I would definitely look at that. And it, it'll probably be under security um, within, the, within the hand guide. So that would be the first area that I would look into in reference to the environment itself. It sounds like it's a terroristic environment um, and unfortunately, I worked in one of those small um, areas in this place where I said that they had their own security. And because sometimes these companies encompass the town, it's like the only, you know, well-paying position, it's, it's tough for individuals to kind of find a way out and still earn the same um, living that they're earning at those locations. So I would just say um, continue to write down as much as you can observe other individuals within the environment to see if anybody else may be going through that situation. I don't say go up and talk to any non-white person because you never know they'll go back, especially if they're in the union. But um, just kind of notice if somebody else may be going through the same thing, and as you're taking down your notes, maybe you can, you know, find some um, commonality with other people that are experiencing the same thing and do the same thing that they're doing out at that uh, water plant in Chicago. So that's uh, that's my two cents on it. Can I be heard? <clears throat> yes, sir. Uh, yes, I, I, the first and foremost thing that I would say to uh, the, the uh, new lady caller is uh, despite your your nervousness, you, you, you did a very, very good job of describing something that happens a lot, and you've, you would you're pretty precise on, 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 on how it works out because just from the standpoint, and, and it's similar to what I said about the Chicago uh, situation, whereas it may be an advantage of the people are strangers to one another, uh, you and I are strangers to one another, and, I, and, and that is the same experiences that I have witnessed on the job that I was on for 20 and a half years, and I got out of the union, out of the union uh, within about maybe – five years of me being on that job as a firefighter, uh, primarily because of the same reason, just like you said. Uh, uh, it primarily, most, most of the non-white black people who are, who are in the union is, is, is for things such as the medical insurance uh, policies that they have are, are, are a little bit more cheaper, and, and, but it, it was always constant Fighting. Matter of fact, two of my my uh, is which is looking like it's going to be a lifetime association. Uh, we met on picketing the uh, your local uh, uh, firefighters union uh, down here uh, for racist practices. Uh, so it's nothing new. It, it, it's it's a uh, smaller gangster uh, operation. Uh, and, and, I, and I'm not just using that as a, as a metaphor. It literally 
literally unions uh, uh, have as the head of, of them people who are associated with, with quote-unquote quote organized crime uh, on a level that's called the mafiosa or whatever, stuff like that. Uh, but we also know that the, the system of racist white supremacy is, is uh, the greatest quote-unquote crime family. Uh, so I think you're accurate on what you're doing. Now, as far as suggestions are concerned, uh, uh, the security, the security forces, from what you describe, I'm pretty sure they know the the the, the intricacies of the quote-unquote law, and and, and uh, the police, uh, the police, even the police, if they are willing to try to do something, it makes it complicated. It makes it quite complicated on what you, get your resume ready uh, uh, because you don't want to compromise your safety. Uh, if, they, if they are slashing your tires or uh, something like that, uh, it, it actually is it's like a, uh, a potential life-threatening warning, so to speak, uh, of, uh, with, with terror involved in it. Uh, that that's that, that's would be the sign that it would tell me. Anyway, uh, but uh, just keep being vigilant, and 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 when you when you see a, a situation where it's, it's it's unattainable, get out of there, get out of there, and go somewhere else. As far as that concern, thank you. Appreciate that, retired firefighter. Any of the other uh, callers? Any uh, suggestions? Uh, for our first-time caller in Tennessee who is dealing with, uh, sounds like just a overwhelming amount of direct violent hostility from the race soldiers at her job. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, hi. Uh, it's the voice again. Um, I, I want to say to the new caller, thank you so much for calling in. Um, you are totally correct when you say about um, the union, the good old boys, they don't work for you. Um, when I was making a reference, I was making a reference about the group of individuals that were starting the union, and they're the ones who got plucked off one by one by one. But they are non-black, so it wasn't no big. It wasn't no big thing for me because you know, not my people's. But it was just an interesting observation to see that they were getting plucked off as well. You know, anything that affects the company they'll pluck you off as well. Um, and on top of that, the HR, I have a big case that I'm working on right now. I had got fired from my previous job, the, the same job I was telling you about for 10 years. It's a huge company down here, and I have a great, a great case. Um, it's, it's, it's real. You have to be real tactical when you're in an at-will state like uh, Florida, uh, Texas, California. You have to be real tactical about it. So what I was able to do, I was able to gain my case through, and Gus always, and I've been doing this before I even got on the show, but what Gus says and he emphasized all the time is take notes. Please take notes because let me tell you something. I was codified like that on my own. I've always been an observant person. Like I told um, on the show before, you know, when you look at your coworkers, you don't have to mingle with them. You don't have to engage with them but study them because by me studying them, I was able to get a lot of allies that was 
non-black. And when you know their weakness and their strength, you can also use their strength to end up uh, attacking your, uh, the racist individuals on an indirect level. And I was able to do that. I was also able to gain information from the racist, the racist individuals through the same allied person. So I have a stack. I mean, when I say I have a stack of detailed, detailed notes, it is just, it's, it's just unreal. But you have to do that. And like you say, I've, I've went to the HR, and when I brought that up to HR, that's how I got fired. Because HR, they have an agreement. And see, that's what I was trying to tell you. Like, even with my allies, um, I have one of the guys that I was saying before, he covers different routes. He goes to different routes. He sees everybody's route. He knows that my route was one of the best routes on there as far as performance-wise, as far as up to code, everything on the route was on point. There's other people that could have got fired just like this, have got people in their territories and overlooked their faults, their neglects. But what happened was the HR, he... When I approached HR with my issues, HR went to my boss, and my ally individual, he is close to my boss because he has, my boss has to report to him. He has to report to the boss because he has to let the boss know what's going on in the field, also when he covers shifts, whatever. So this is his right-hand man. So by me having that ally, I was able to get information that HR went into my boss's office and told him that I went there. Now you can't. I've already. I told you. Uh, I've already looked through the uh, manual. You can't breach confidentiality like that. So when my boss told my ally that this information can't leave these walls, my ally came right back and gave me that same information. So that's why I say documentation. If you got people on the job that you feel comfortable, I wouldn't say comfortable, just study them. You'll know who you can feel out, who you can use to your advantage, and who you can't. I'm very sorry that you're going through this, and I, I wish I had, like, a, a solid solution for you. But um, just like everybody said, just follow those steps. Report back to us next week. See what's changed. Um, and as far as the security, I was a security supervisor. So I know when the residents call, if the residents call, um, unless it's like an extreme emergency, the residents will call directly. We have to let them through the gate. Otherwise, from that, sometimes the residents call us, and we have to make that decision. So I know the security at the job, if it's a decision that they make, then it's like it's their judgment. So. If they don't feel like calling the police because they feel like it's nothing serious, they probably don't have no information. Even if they did have information, they're not going to tell you. They're going to say, hey, we don't have any information of what's going on, this and that. So they might be obligated to make a judgment call. But like the caller um, in New York said, just study your, your manual. Everybody's job manual is different. See what you can get out of this. And I'll mute my line.
Appreciate that, the voice. Uh, me, uh, me. Yes, Mr. Steele. Just let me check really quick, Mr. Steele. Did the caller in Tennessee, did you have anything that you wanted to add before we heard from Mr. Steele? Just making sure. I didn't know if that was you were going to add something. Um, about the security, the last time I tried to call the police, well, this was the tire. The tire incident was the first incident. And I was told that the security report is just as good as the police report, and they don't have to allow po- the police on the property because it's private property. So that's what I was told. And I'm not really scared at work or anything. I'm just at a point where I'm just, like, I'm hostile. Like, as soon as I go to work, I can I can feel my blood pressure going up. It's like I'm just angry at everybody. I don't want people to talk to me. I just... I just have an attitude like I it's I don't have a uh attitude but if you speak to me you'll know that I don't wanna be spoken to. Like I can't explain and it's I just I got to I'm at a point where I'm I'm even bringing it home now and I forgot which caller it was and the only reason I am at that job is like he said, it's one of the better paying jobs in this city. Like, I have a degree, and I can get any job in my field, and it won't pay me more than this job that I work at now with people who can't even read, and I won't get paid as much money as I do now. Can't even read. Mm. Thank you for your uh, patience, Mr. Steele. Proceed. Uh, uh, Yes, uh, this is... uh... Ken Steele, and I am in uh, San Dimas, California at the moment. And, um, you know, I was just listening to uh, the caller and uh, the other listeners uh, and their suggestions, and I think that um, the suggestions that have been given so far um, are good. Um, However, I think that um, there is uh, a serious – there's a serious chasm uh, between uh, the gravity of the situation um, and I uh, am detecting the response that you're giving. So if people are at your job and they are slashing your tires, that right there is a violent act um, and it needs to be reported to the police. Don't report it to their private security firm. Don't uh, just tell a manager you need an actual police report from law enforcement. You need to call. Basically, if the local um, law enforcement are not uh, up to the task of uh, creating a report, um, uh, then you need to call the other law enforcement agencies in your area, be it the sheriffs, be it the um, uh, state police, and then you need to get somebody over to you and you need to get them to write a report down. I don't care if they are uh, very flippant towards you. I don't care if they're very disrespectful towards you or if they don't take your concerns seriously at all. You need to get that documented with law enforcement. And then also, you must, at this point, you must uh, get on record how you feel 
uh, about all of this going down. And um, you need to get your health diagnostics associated with uh, your current state um, there. I, I suggest perhaps you might want to invest in um, uh, some sort of uh, self-blood pressure monitoring system. Uh, I think they're only like $20 on Amazon.com. You can get that, and then you can take a log of what your blood pressure is uh, when you're at home versus what your blood pressure is at work. And then you can also, um, uh, you have to go report to a medical professional and get your blood pressure taken. That's going to be key informing any sort of pain and suffering claims that may come with uh, this next step that I'm going to tell you. You have to look up an employment lawyer in your area. You have to find an employment lawyer that takes your situation seriously and is very familiar with the laws in your jurisdiction. Um, uh, quite frankly, uh, the fact that your employer uh, told you not, advised you not to go to the police uh, regarding this, um, to me, that, that sounds like something that uh, a lawyer is going to need to um, uh, discuss with their legal counsel as well because um, it sounds to me like you um, may be entitled to damages. You are being negatively affected uh, at this uh, workplace. You are being physically threatened. You do, your safety is in danger, and you have to take steps to take care of this. Otherwise, it's going to get worse. You are seeing across the country that workplace violence is becoming more and more frequent. The um, degree to which uh, people are affected by this violence is uh, also increasing, and uh, the severity of the violence uh, is increasing as well. So do not take anything lightly that you are seeing on the job. Also, understand that their internal systems, be it their um, human resources department, uh, their security apparatus, is all there set up to help them, not you. So you have to go around them and you have to take those extra steps. Uh, I, I, I'm saying this um, as emphatically as I can. Please, please, please begin to take these steps. If you're getting that affected negatively by this employer and uh, this environment, you have to get legal recourse. That's, I, I'm in my opinion, the only correct way to proceed. Appreciate that, Mr. Steele. I, uh, the police aspect, I think I would really have to go and visit them on my own uh, if you haven't already. Like that just uh, everything about this, uh, as he said, the escalating nature of it. I mean, it's it's super serious um, to me. I know I, I appreciate you said that you, you didn't feel fearful, that you were just upset and it's impacting your blood pressure. Uh, all of those, I mean, just damage to your vehicle. I mean, it just the severity of the situation exactly as Mr. Steele said, it just seems extremely uh, serious um, in terms of, you know, I want to action on this. I would want to visit the police if you haven't already uh, and in detail, like review all matters. If, if the security from the job, if they issued a report uh, on this, like a written report of the incident that happened on their property <clears throat> with photographs, great, you can take that too. But uh, I would definitely want to speak with enforcement officials. If you want to talk to a local uh, attorney, as Mr. Uh, Steele advised, 
great, but I mean, wow, just the severity of it. I think you also said you're like bringing this home to your family, right? Because it's so stressful, which I mean, it sounds stressful. It sounds stressful to me just hearing about it. Like you, is that, did I hear that correctly as well? Yes, I do. The, um, the, the thing with the police, I'm just concerned about proving it because I don't have any kind of way to prove it because the security is telling me that they, they can't see it on camera. Your, did your you take, report is the proof. Did you take pictures uh, of, you know, what the, the damage that you said, the, the tire, I guess it was two different ones at least, right, the tire, and then uh, you said you think someone maybe took their fist and, and pounded uh, on the vehicle. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Yeah, I would. If you took pictures, I would just go uh, and report those two incidents. And you know, if the job, if they gave you a report, since their security handled it or what have you, if they gave you a report, great. If they're saying they don't have cameras, uh, that the cameras didn't get it, okay. Do you at least have a written in the background? Is there any way we can uh, either turn it down or? Okay, great. Um, if they don't have video footage of the incident, okay, they, at least for these types, they generate what they call an incident report or something. Uh, if you have something like this happen on the property where you have major property damage to an employee's vehicle, um, they should have something so you can at least take their written reports uh, to corroborate that, yes, these incidents have happened and you want to report it directly to your, to your local police. Did they give you any sort of written written report from the the local security that you reported this happened and this is what they have to say about it? I'm sorry. Yes, I have three written reports for the uh, incident reports from security because before the tire, I had an incident where they were sabotaging my tools, like gluing them and pouring oil on them and stuff like that. And I had an idea of who I thought done it, so I reported it to security. So I have three incident reports with pictures but no proof um well you know it came back inconclusive they didn't find anything can i be heard can i be heard gus i can hear you oh okay um, I just wanted to add, um, I, I do agree with uh, Mr. Steele and Gus in reference to um, the seriousness of this matter. Um, I, I just want to kind of shine a little bit of light in reference to sometimes in environments like this, and the caller can definitely let me know if I'm right, um, these security agencies, when they get to that level, um, when they're operating in the way that they're operating, um, they kind of operate hand-in-hand hand with the local police as well. So um, there are times, and, and I experienced it with some situations that were reported back to HR when I was working in my environment. Incidents will be reported. After the incidents are reported, the police either are going to kind of weigh in um, and sway with the individual uh, personal security department and they kind of work with one another. It's no different than the DA's office and the same things that are going on in the large major cities. But the thing that I am very, um, and I just want to just say this, because if you're in a small area, if you get all of them kind of in an environment where they feel that you're coming after them, if they kind of work in that tandem, 
Um, I just don't want it to get to a point where she is now kind of um, in a situation where the local police, along with the security force, are kind of deeming her as a troublemaker. Um, and, and I just want to be careful with that. And if I agree with Mrs. Steele, like I said, if you're going to go that route and kind of pushing it to the next level, just get the resume ready um, and, and just get ready to get out of that environment. But to stay in that environment and to be on a property with security personnel that's kind of like private, and then you're in that environment where they're not really doing anything, I would just really caution that unless you're just willing to say, all right, you know, that's it, I'm going to leave, and as you're leaving, get ready to do a file, uh, file a suit and, and go that route. But I wouldn't do that while still at that location. That's just um, my commentary on it. Uh, can I be heard? Oh, we can hear you, Mr. Steele. I got disconnected uh, while I was saying I, th I, would, I would encourage going to enforcement officials. I would go myself. I would go to them uh, directly um, if it was my situation, even though the caller that just spoke. I think that is totally logical, uh, particularly if you're in a small town. And certainly whites always network. That is the system of racism, white supremacy. That is absolutely logical that that sort of thing could happen. That is a logical concern. Uh, Mr. Steele? Uh, yes. Um, you know, you may want to look into uh, what rights you have uh, regarding uh, federal time off. Um, you might, and, you know, what time off looks like on your work. I personally would uh, take, some, take some time away from that environment and use that time away from that environment to find a new plantation to work on um, while I am formally uh, uh, form formulating uh, my case against them um, simply because uh, you are in danger. If they're pouring oil on your tools, that means that they're creating an unsafe work environment for you to operate in. You have no idea what kind of uh, slip and fall situation that they are constructing for you so that, you know, you, you go in and then you step on an oil patch or something like that and you slip on your back and you, you, you hurt yourself and you make yourself unable to work for anybody. So I would get out of that environment as soon as possible. It sounds pretty violent. It sounds like they are not hesitating to, to uh, create very dangerous situations for you. And on top of that, um, you know, it's my belief after hearing everything that you've reported that your life may be in danger. And I don't take that, and I'm not saying that lightly. I'm not trying to, you know, uh, create a situation. I just want for you to understand exactly how serious and how dangerous is the situation that you're in. Please, please, for your own safety, look at other options. Look at removing yourself from there as soon as possible and pressing charges, period. I, I totally agree with that, uh, Mr. Steele, um, and what Gus uh, mentioned in reference to filing a report. I would do the same. And if you have been on the job, as Mr. Steele mentioned, for more than a year, you should be eligible for FMLA, that's the Family Medical Leave Act, um, and you should at least be able to get, you know, um, 8 to 12 weeks off um, while still employed with them. You'll still have your benefits. Um, I would definitely go and seek um, some, um, you know, counseling sessions uh, while you're on FMLA. And to Mr. Steele's point, go to a doctor's um, office, get yourself checked out, 
get some blood pressure, um, you know, uh, systems at home that you can kind of take your own self-assessment, but get everything documented as well from the professionals that you go and see, um, and then be able to kind of start building your case from there. But um, all the best to you. And update us, and this is not from a voyeuristic, like, you know, like I said, this is <clears throat> this broadcast, the, the workplace racism broadcast specifically, this is not like, you know, we're just entertained hearing uh, strife from people's lives uh, on, on their jobs and how they're being terrorized. Uh, I know I'm interested, hopefully, uh, so that people can figure out some things that work well, uh, that they can either think on their own, can think of some strategies to help solve some of their problems that are happening, or if they get help from some of the listeners, uh, input from the broadcast, great. Uh, but just hearing like, oh, okay, these things work well for solving uh, these types of problems, however you decide to pro uh, proceed with things. So if you can you know, kind of let us know uh, what you decide to do uh, in handling things, that would be grand. Uh, I do know, as was just suggested, Dr. Kanban is a big advocate of going to see uh, Dr mental health professional, and reporting how the trauma that you're experiencing on your job is impacting you, uh, your blood pressure, and you said this is you're carrying this stress over into your relations with your family members, uh, to share all of that with them. And these different incidents continuing to happen, uh, acts of violence against your property, and you share all of that. So you get documentation where they can say, oh, yeah, this, the doctor can report about how it's impacting your blood pressure. Mental health professional can do the same. That puts you in a much better uh, position having documentation uh, for all of that. Um, other folks that uh, dialed in, uh, 641-715-3640, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate after tremendous and persistence at 3.07 a.m. Friday morning. Stacy in the U.K. is with us. Uh, Stacy. I don't know if you had uh, input for the female caller or if you wanted to update your own situation, uh, but you should be with us as well. Are you there? I guess. Greetings, greetings. I, uh, apologies um, uh, for the last week. I'm busy with you and then I, I guess a good thing did actually fall asleep. Um, but uh, my sleep patterns are so disrupted by everything. So, um, yeah, but apologies for that. Um, yeah, I think with the female caller, I would agree with everything that everybody has said, um, not least because it really does sound dangerous. Um, and I don't think she should take it lightly. Um, she'll know her situation better than everyone else, but um, I would definitely go to the police and have your own records. And I've done that in the past. Even if you don't pursue things in the long run, at least you've got things documented. And um, I mean, I've got, I'm planning to do the very similar thing because of stuff that I'm dealing with, which I don't think is anywhere near as physically dangerous as what um, she's encountering. So yeah, I just agree with everybody else really. And on the union side of things, um, I did. I did ask the question a couple of weeks ago about um, unions. I mean, I have had both good and bad experiences with unions, um, but I asked the question because I really don't trust them, to be frank and honest. Um, and I think it really is worth a, a program in its own right, just to re really get to grips with how um, beneficial they are to individuals or not. 
I am part of a union um, as a member, um, and I would, in in my circumstance, remain part of the union because I do think there is a level of protection or de deterrent sometimes um, for you know against managers thinking they can just act out against you. But I wouldn't trust them. Um, I have recently um, become part of the a union sort of arrangements within my organisation um, only because it will give me better insight into processes and employment law and training um, and that's, that's in part to again act as a bit of a deterrent for some of the managers in the organisation but to give me better insight but I wouldn't trust the union's um, because sometimes they're just way too close to management and um, our unions are politically affiliated which in itself is um, very suspect in, in some, at, sorry, sometimes um, but yeah Gus I do have my update but I'll stop there um, if, unless you want me to give an up my update now uh, let's see do we have uh, any other folks before I guess we can we can make a definitive transition. Uh, was there were there any final suggestions for our first time caller uh, in Tennessee? Just making sure we didn't leave out anything, and then we can move forward. If Stacy wants to share a personal situation, that's fine. Any any other final suggestions for our call in Tennessee? Okay, we'll assume folks got their final word in uh, on that. Uh, I guess if you uh, unless you want to take a moment. Uh, we can. Oh, we did have other people who called in, so I'll I'll leave it to you. If you would like to tell us your personal situation now, you can do so. We did have other folks who have called in who've not shared, so uh, we might have. Uh, you have the option if you want to yield the floor or if you want to continue to share. Um, I'll I'll give my update. Um, people have finished commented on the last situation because that did sound quite serious to me. Um, do you want me to go ahead? Yeah. I'll proceed. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, hello to everybody else on the call as well. I um, just as a quick summary. I mean, I've been going through. Um, I'm trying to say this really quickly. Um, I guess I've been calling in over the last couple of months about somebody who was supposed allegedly supporting me on a project who has been. Um, pretty much disruptive over the past year and that behaviour has been encouraged by management and recently he um, accused me of shouting at him. I told him or management that he would need to formalise his complaint. Um, they came back and said uh, he's not going to do that and in the meantime, um, oh, sorry, formalise it or withdraw. He didn't withdraw his accusation but he, they said he wasn't going to formalise complaint in the meantime they encouraged his manager who was also a black female to um, raise her concerns about me which she did that resulted in a two-hour meeting where I had to listen to her express a number of concerns about me which I was able to address in that meeting and demonstrate it was absolute nonsense and that you know fact there was you know documented evidence that I'd sent her which just disputed some of the things 
that she was claiming and or where actually it's because of how management were mismanaging the situation, why some of the things we thought had taken place were not as, as minimum she um, was viewing them. Um, I also talked about the fact that a director in my um, organisation had been um, physically aggressive towards me um, a couple of weeks ago. This had been going on over a year where she was pretty much just walking into me unless, uh, you know, or rather walking so hard towards me that I had to move out of the way to avoid collision. But um, a couple of weeks ago, she did walk into me and I did, uh, sorry, push past me and I did um, report that to the one of the group directors and also what had happened over the last year is that one of the young people who come into my organization who um uh to help out sometimes on projects they're not member of staff but they come in on a voluntary basis and they do get paid you know for their time um etc but they're not paid members of staff she had originally started off really well with me you know we were really friendly she used to come into the building and hug me and because of how I'm being treated in the organisation, steadily people, you know, will avoid speaking to me or, you know, start to misbehave towards me. And this person had brushed past me in the organisation a year ago, laughed about it. I raised a complaint about it and um, it was basically brushed under the carpet. Um, and um, that was an incident where I would try to get hold of security footage, but because of the laws, um, there were, it wasn't, in, so in the UK, it wasn't actually captured because not everywhere in the building um, can be um, recorded in that way. Um, sorry, and the reason I'm summarising all of that is because when um, the my director had pushed past me it got to a stage where i just thought okay this has just gone way beyond um so i did speak to him the group director a couple of weeks ago um and one of the things he had said to me was to give some thought as to whether or not i wanted to make it a formal um complaint or whether i wanted it to be handled um uh i guess through sort of mediation and informal routes um and i went away to think about that and um you know i was you know it, it's been going on for years so i had decided look, i'm going to give this some real thought because obviously it's daunting to have to go through that kind of process and as i said i don't particularly trust the unions but it, these things do impact on your health in a major way and there's a point at which when people feel that they can get physical, it's just, you know, you do have to really think about, how, you know, how you're going to proceed and whether or not that, that kind of behaviour will only escalate. And quite frankly, it is, um, including with the young person who's coming into the building. I think, you know, whereas it did deter her behaviour for a couple of months, she has over the last couple of weeks been escalating her behavior again including um coming as close to me as she can um just to goad me into a response and uh, i think twice this week um <clears throat> had, had done the same thing to me she's not actually touching me but she you know it's that close she might as well you know it's it, there's only yeah. You know, 
she she's she's pretty much brushing past me, but actually it's it's just barely touching, but it's that close and looking in my face as she's doing it. And you know, I, I she just she wants to provoke a reaction in me. So um last week I had decided to send the notes from the meeting um that took place on the 5th of May and that was where they brought this black female in to express her concerns about me and it took me a long time to type up those notes because actually I'll be honest emotionally it was really difficult for me because you know it's just constant attacks sent those notes last week and I realized that when um she had summarized her list of accusations against me there was one that we didn't go through in that two-hour meeting um and that related to um we have to handle correspondence that will come into the organization. Um, some of it will go direct to the sort of uh, chief execs team, and sometimes it comes into teams across the organization. And we have to respond. Sometimes we're responding on behalf of the chief exec, so we might write a response as if it's from the chief exec or senior management, or we respond acknowledging and making decisions as to whether or not we need to you know, involve management, whatever. And the reason why I'm explaining that is because they're very technical responses sometimes. And we're given the timeline as to when we're, res- we're supposed to respond to letters based based on various different criteria. Um, now, the, the little race soldier that had complained about me, part of his role is to manage for our team um, when that... What, the, allocating those uh, correspondence to various people across the team. Um, and that is pretty much all he does. So the outstanding accusation was that he had, um, I do not do mine on time, and therefore that's impacting on him, which is not fair, and that sometimes he has to do follow-up, and he has been sending emails to me, which he... Um, doesn't always get a response from me and it's it's not fair she's concerned about it and obviously it's impacting on him so i asked for clarification on that point but i deliberately said can you send me written response because i didn't want to have another meeting plus these things in terms of our organizational policy um we have um what is the dignity at work policy which part of it is also based on a, a, a person's perceived um, the perception of how your work you're treating them, um, and my my managers apparently are using that um, economically. In that you know, they're basically saying anything that they perceived as misbehaviour on my part is valid. Um, now the policy does acknowledge that if you perceive that you're being treated and that, you know, that should be listened to by management. But what it does not say is that they should not, or rather what it does say is that they should investigate such claims and not just take them as um, truthful. So I keep being told about, you know, well, this is how they're perceiving the situation. And in the, in the instance where somebody is actually doing my work, that goes way beyond perception and can be quantified, um, which is why I asked for a written breakdown of what he's been doing on my behalf, which particular correspondent he's responded to, how much time it's taken, and also copies of the emails that he sent me that I have not responded to. Um, 
that resulted in correspondence last week where this black female is now claiming that, you know, oh, well, um, she doesn't remember actually saying what she said um, and that um, uh, she didn't, you know, it just went through a load of fake correspondence and, you know, I, I ended up saying, no, 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 that you you were very specific. You said it. My notes are accurate. I want written clarification and I wanted to quantify and also provide evidence of the work that he's been doing. Um, Friday morning, she came up to my desk and she said, can I have a word? And I said, yeah, just give me two minutes. Um, she went back to her desk and when I finished doing what I was doing, which was uh, probably about five, ten minutes later, I said, oh, I'm ready. Can we go into a meeting room? She then called in my manager and I turned around and I, you know, we started the meeting and they're like, <laughs> I realised actually that my manager's now in this room. Why is she in here? And uh, I asked the question, why are you here? And um, my man, uh, the, the black female said, oh no, she brought her in uh, because she was part of the email correspondence in the previous meeting. So I said, well, that's fine, but you didn't tell me she was, you were bringing her into this meeting. And she said, well, I didn't think it'd be a problem. So I said, uh, I want to understand why you brought her in and what is this meeting about? Um, and we went on like that for a while. Uh, my manager was also in saying, well, I guess it's because, you know, maybe uh, she just thought it would be quicker rather than her having to go and feed back to me. And I'm guessing that's what she meant. Um, and, uh, and I said, I still want to know why you're in here. And um, what the purpose of this meeting is. Um, and this went on for a while. And in the end, there was an acknowledgement that she had brought her in to um, because she was concerned about future meetings. So she wanted her in there as an observer. So I said, oh, well, that's fine. In that case, um, I'm going to bring this meeting to an end until I can get my witness. Um, and so that was that. And then um, my head of team at that time had been working from home. I got an email from her invite for a meeting for the following Monday for a catch-up. So I emailed her back and said, uh, why uh, can you just clarify what this meeting is about? And she didn't respond to me. So this Monday, um, I got pulled into a meeting by my head of team, but and, and in summary, telling me she doesn't want me to take any notes. Why did I copy her into all of that correspondence? Um, the original meeting on the 5th of May was supposed to be informal. Um, and I've gone into way too much detail and we need to get on with work, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I said, well, in the first instance, clearly none of this has been handled informally. And you knew all about the alleged informal meeting before I did, because you raised it with me beforehand. And you also told me what she was going to discuss, which she seemed to have forgotten. Um, and I said, um, you see, um, I said, and furthermore, as I said before, they're making a number of accusations against me. I take that seriously. And she's, you know, we went into this stupid discussion again about um, it's not accusation, it's their perception. As I said, oh, no, if he's doing my work, that goes way beyond perception and I need to understand this. Um, and again, so we went through that nonsense. Um, I'd also raised concerns about my line management arrangements, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. It should have been an interim arrangement that this manager, this current race soldier um, is line managing me. That should have come to an end at the end of May. I'd already been raising concerns about her. So my manager, again, was claiming that I hadn't told her about that situation. And um, 
um, you know, again, she, she was raising that. So I said, well, um, I did tell you. And the fact that you're sitting here claiming I didn't is concerning to me. And the way that this meeting has been handled demonstrates your lack of regard for me and also your bias. And I expressed discomfort several times during the meeting and in the end had to ask for the meeting to come to an end. I then emailed my group director on Monday, uh, sorry, on Tuesday. He got a free page letter summarising what had gone on um, across all of those incidents. So he has now come back and um, has said, outside, and I, because I did tell him I wanted to formalise grievances, he has now come back and said it's, it's um, a very, very serious, he considers it very, very serious. So the whole thing is now under investigation um, and um, I'm just waiting to hear from HR. But this black female, for example, I was supposed to be meeting with her today to discuss something. I just She, she clearly is now walking around the building and I'm being told she's very anxious. Um, so I'm sure they've given out the impression that she is now scared of me, although they haven't quite come out and said that. Um, so I, I cancelled the meeting today um, on the basis that... Um, I need an observer, um, but I hadn't seen an email from her actually that she had actually decided um, that she didn't want to go ahead with the meeting, but I could give her comments um, um, by email. It was, uh, um, again, relating to the little race soldier, but he um, uh, it, was, it was to do with his objectives for the year, and I could just comment by email. Um, so that is my update, Gus. Um, yeah, I mean, I am working with the union, but um, as I said, I don't trust it. Um, I had one of the reasons I had escalated is because I'd one of the things the group director had said to me was that he could temporarily move me out of the team. He hasn't come back on that matter as yet, um, but I will be following up next week. I'll meet my line, Gus. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> that is. Wow, we I uh that is that is a new one. I think the importance of asking uh questions to ascertain uh why things are being done, uh for me, central theme there, uh to finally get through as to why your manager is present. Oh, we, you know, wanted a witness uh, for the meeting and then well oh well then I should be able to have a witness uh as well and so we'll postpone the meeting until I can have a witness as well. I uh, thought that was great. And just ascertaining why things uh, are being done, uh, and particularly if there are any sort of accusations. I think that's another one to take very uh, serious. Anytime there, there are allegations or accusations <clears throat> that you've done something wrong, uh, I guess in this situation, if they're saying that this white guy is doing your work, that could be uh, a perception that you're doing something wrong. I could see how that, you know, easily could end up being, you know, you're some sort of, slacker shiftless you know no good black person and you know we got to pull your weight around here because you're not even doing your job i could easily see how that sort of thing can be uh construed uh that way particularly when it's time for a raise or promotion that sort of thing that oh yeah bob's been doing most of your work this year you're not even carrying your own weight so absolutely i think all of that uh is serious and should be uh, dealt with in a serious manner uh, and particularly with the escalation uh, there's something that we talked about I think we talked about that with the situation in Tennessee we talked about that with a number of other incidents that uh, if you do not address 
these issues, most of the time they will escalate. Uh, you were talking with this aggressive race soldier who's been doing the, I don't know what you want to call it, just violence in the hallway, uh, walking really close to you or bumping into you purposely and laughing about it uh, in the hallway and then having other <clears throat> other race soldiers on the, on the job now doing the same thing and walking deliberately, uh, walking very close uh, to you in the hallways to make you uncomfortable. Uh, that these sort of things should be taken very uh, seriously uh, in the workplace. Uh, be mindful and have a code uh, about how you're going to be dealing with these sort of situations. Anything that's involving violence, uh, anything where it's uh, destruction of property, violence, uh, or threats to these sort of things, destruction of property or violence, very, very seriously. In my view, once it's it's gotten there, like this has escalated way beyond just the typical uh, types of racist antics that we talk about and prepare for on the job. Once it gets to that level, in my opinion, uh, we have <clears throat> approximately uh, 30, <clears throat> excuse me, we have approximately 30 minutes uh, left in the broadcast. I guess a little less. Uh, if we have folks who have not been able to share at all, uh, you should certainly get your hand up. I know there was a caller who uh, had dialed in simultaneously when uh, Stacy from the UK was giving her commentary. Uh, if you had commentary suggestion uh, that you wanted to get in uh, feel free uh, other folks that dialed in <clears throat> who have a hand up uh, if you have other comments suggestions uh, you have your own personal situation that you want to discuss uh, feel free make sure you do not wait till the last minute can I have you heard yes sir how are you I'm sorry Hello? Yes, sir. We can hear you. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Okay, perfect. Um, you know, I wanted to uh, report on a, um, uh, a workplace racism story. Uh, I guess it's two workplace racism stories that uh, seem to have a, uh, a common link. Uh, I believe uh, one of them uh, took place in the Bronx recently. Uh, have we discussed at all the workplace violence uh, that occurred in a, um, in a medical facility in the Bronx, uh, I believe it was uh, last week? Uh, I don't believe so. Uh, you know what? Um, it turns out that that uh, episode of workplace violence, uh, there was a shooting that resulted in uh, the um, death of one uh, uh, physician and uh, the uh, grave injuring of, I believe, um, uh, six other people. Um, and the gunman uh, was actually a, a Jamaican immigrant, a, a victim of uh, racism, white supremacy, who had uh, been pursuing uh, a career as a uh, medical professional, as a doctor. Um, this victim had a some sort of a provisional uh, license to practice medicine in this one hospital. Um, I'm guessing because uh, he, uh, I think the justification for giving him this uh, provisional, um, uh, I guess, license was uh, because he uh, attained his medical degree uh, in the Caribbean. So because of that, um, he was under some sort of a special uh, stipulation saying that he had to complete some sort of a probationary period um, at this uh, hospital before he could get his full uh, license. 
And uh, it turned out that uh, throughout his employment there, um, he was being targeted uh, with uh, reports of uh, being uh, uh, aggressive. Um, I believe the first reason why he wasn't uh, um, promoted or um, allowed to advance um, or he was being uh, reprimanded was that he um, uh, kept to himself uh, too much. And then finally, uh, I believe he was terminated after uh, uh, charges or allegations of uh, sexual harassment uh, were levied against him. Uh, and then uh, I just wanted to say that uh, that was the part of the story that really stuck out to me is that uh, this sexual harassment uh, um, allegation. Um, you know, oftentimes I, I, I'm, I'm sure that uh, the other victims in here are, are well aware that um, oftentimes these um, allegations of uh, sexual harassment by victims um, to non-victims of racism uh, are oftentimes uh, unfounded and uh, quite frankly just made up. Um, and I would suggest to victims of racism while you're on the job, minimize your contact with uh, people of the opposite sex um, and being alone with them. Because I think a lot of these situations arise from being alone with suspected uh, uh, racist females or even um, victims uh, themselves can be used against other victims in this manner. Uh, there's uh, another case of uh, alleged sexual harassment um, leading to the termination of a victim of uh, racism. Uh, and that is of a commentator that is on Fox News. Uh, I'm, his name uh, uh, escapes me. I believe his name is Errol, um, E-R-R-O-L, if I recall correctly. He's a larger kind of heavy set. Um, commentator that um, primarily works on Fox Business. So if you're um, at all uh, at your work, if you have uh, you know Fox Business idling, you'll oftentimes see uh, this victim of racism. Um, he's very recognizable. He has uh, gray hair, and um, he was recently um, suspended um, and taken off the air due to uh, allegations of uh, of sexual harassment. Um, the allegations stem from he had a relationship with, uh, um, to which he admitted he had a relationship with a, a commentator from CNN uh, that uh, worked for Fox News at one point. And, um, and he was, uh, I guess it was brought up that this was sexual harassment because apparently when he ended the relationship with uh, this uh, woman, um, this female commentator, uh, she was uh, given the, um, it's a very similar report to what other uh, um, women from Fox News are reporting. He, her on-air time was cut and uh, she was uh, um, removed from different assignments. And this was in response to, I guess, uh, um, uh, ceasing the relationship with this victim. And, uh, you know, this situation, again, illustrates to me why it's uh, imperative to avoid all contact with uh, people of the opposite sex in uh, close quarters 
and uh, when there's nobody monitoring. As we've seen in other television situations, even when there are monitors, if you are alone with, uh, uh, and if there are people even filming, um, you can have, uh, you know, uh, charges of sexual impropriety, uh, impropriety uh, levied against you by these racists or suspected racists. So, you know, those are just uh, two stories that kind of illustrate how um, these uh, racists are using uh, the charge of sexual harassment to um, eliminate us from different positions, um, uh, prevent us from advancing in our careers, and uh, basically making trouble for us at work and also making legal trouble for us as well. So, um, you know, I just want to advise uh, fellow victims, you know, do not slack off on this point. You know, do not get comfortable. Do not um, think that, hey, I'm going to be an exception or, hey, Karen, she's cool or, hey, Cindy, you know, she she likes me. You know, we got drinks one time. We're, we're all right. No, those situations can quickly turn from, you know, relationship situations into situations where you're fighting for your income and uh, your name is being uh, bandied about as some sort of uh, um, uh, violent or um, sexually threatening um, individual. Uh, and I will mute um, my line. Thank you so much. Appreciate that, uh, Mr. Steele. Absolutely. I've seen where that can <clears throat> uh, cause a variety of problems. Uh, just the kicking it, hanging out. There doesn't have to be uh, anything sexual going on. Doesn't even, you know, have to be anything even headed in that direction. It can be, you know, absolutely business uh what's taking place but if it's a male female thing i mean just the gossip i don't know about you all but i've been in a lot of work situations where the gossip alone uh can be out of control uh especially uh if it's any sort of uh if it's a black male and it's a white female uh same uh black female white male uh and it doesn't even have to be a racial aspect i've just been in some work situations where the gossip gossip aspect alone uh, is enough to make you uh, say, I think I'm just going to avoid all of this so that I am not the water cooler conversation uh, for the next month uh, or more uh, on the job. Uh, great recommendation. And I know some of the folks who've uh, participated in our workplace racism conversations over the years, they've said they you know, have a ironclad workplace code uh, about never being alone with a white woman for any reason, not in an office stairwell nothing uh, to make sure that that does not happen uh, so that, you know, there are no allegations or anything like that. Uh, other folks uh, who dialed in uh, comments, questions, suggestions, uh, last few minutes that we have, anything else folks wanted to make sure they touched on? Any final commentary? Folks want to make sure they get in. Final suggestions. Anything else stood out? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Hey, uh, it's the voice again. I wanted to give you guys an update on the um the rains situation that has been going on for <laughs> quite a while now um, with my people's at their job, and um, so as you guys know before, um, people that might not know, um, there's a white um, female and a 
white homosexual male director who has had a bit of words for each other. Well, I wouldn't say an exchange of words, but she actually said some things to the the male director and at an office party when she was intoxicated. Um, in return, they sat down inside um, their office, the director's office, and he ended up giving this lady a raise after she should really be fired. But it just goes for the codification of how whites um, basically help each other even when they are being in a situation where they should be uh, uh, fired. But um, so this lady is now getting $20 an hour. Um, she comes back, she brags about it to my peoples and her quarters, which is one of her friends is she's real close with. Uh, another one, you know, she's close with, but not as close as her black friend that that works. Um, then there's another one that is a supervisor. She's a black supervisor as well. So, you know, they're pretty much close with each other. So they found out the situation and they heard about the lady coming and bragging into all of them about how she's making $20 an hour and she, you know, just, just throwing it in their face, just like how whites do, very terroristic manner. So um, I advise my people to, you know, if you're going to go and address it, at least do it by yourself so that way, you know, you can pretty much uh, tackle it and be more um, on a leverage level for yourself opposed for everybody to be in a group level at one time and then they have to sort things out. So she did that, end up in the raise, but it was nowhere it was nowhere near what that lady got. So they were all pretty much upset. Now what happened is that everybody that everybody benefited from it. I heard going, all of them benefited from it. It was like uh four or five of them that benefited from that raise. Now, mind you, this is another thing that, you know, people, people have to understand. And I think, uh, I, I believe I heard a, a segment from uh, Neely uh, Fuller when he said that you have to go and do things on your own because sometimes in the workplace, people chant behind you and say, yeah, yeah, you got you to gotta go in there, man, let's fight, let's do all this. And then when it's time to fight, everybody's hiding behind their desk while you're going into the battle zone. And that's exactly what happens. Now, everybody runs to the director like, yes, thank you. I appreciate, I appreciate the raise. Um, it's so gracious. So now the director, this is the update now, the director is mad. He was kind of um, frustrated with my peoples and her friend, her good friend at work. So he called both of them in, two blacks in his office. Now, mind you, this is the white homosexual director. So he goes and he, they close the door and he says to them, well, everybody in here is very happy, but you too. So he just flips the script on them, she says. Like, and mind you, they were all cool at one point, but it seemed like this rage situation, now it's like they're on up. Uh, 
you know, opposite sides of the fence, like like it's them versus him now. That's the type of uh, predicament and situation he has put them in. It's like everybody's agreeing and loves uh, the rave, but you two guys are still mad about the situation. So he says, I'm disappointed in you. So, you know, long story short, they talk and then, you know, they excuse out of the office. So my people was like, all right, listen. She told him, listen, if you're going to, if you're not going to give us the same as you gave this lady, at least make sure that you don't take away because they took away the bonuses. So at least add the bonus back in. So every month, at least, uh, you know, in one of the checks, that they get monthly, they can get that money back up. So it's equivalent or close, more close to what they're getting now. So he says, okay, I'll think about it. So in the process now, the, her friend is still mad. Still, she's like, you know, this is not fair. This is not right. Rightfully so, it isn't. You know, somebody that, that you have more years in the company than another person and they, then they are disrespectful to the manager and end up getting rewarded for it, it would make any black person very hostile. So my people are telling her to, you know, just relax, just chill out. Let's just be strategic about it. Um, let's see what he does. Let's see what's get done. She's like, man, okay. So every time he has an encounter with um, her friend, the director and her friend, he feels like she still has some bad tension. So now she ends up telling, I mean, he um, ends up telling the, um, he calls the, the black um, manager in the office and tells the black manager that, listen, you better talk to her, which is my people's friend, because my patient is wearing real thin with her. So he's basically saying either she gets uh, acting as a loser attitude or he's going to end up getting rid of her and have no regrets for doing it. Now, mind you, these, this is, they had such a, a close connection, all of them. They used to go out and, and drink, go out and get drinks. And I told her about all that, you know, about the whole drinking and, being on, on, you know, work time related, he, ends, he, he gets them drunk on work. I'm like, listen, you have to part your way away from that because you guys are getting too close to this person. And just like whites, they always show you their true colors when it comes down to a situation. Everything is all real good. And then all of a sudden, they just snap and change. The whole complex is just changed. And that's exactly what's happening. So this is this is what's going on right now. Now, uh, my people had at a time the company was looking for help. Um, so she ends up um, telling her cousin to apply. Real good guy. I've met him before. Real good guy. Quiet. Does his work. Like straight on point. Doesn't play around. Does his work. And the thing about it with this white homosexual um, director, there is, in the process of them getting raises now, he also opened up new positions. 
So um, anybody could apply for the position. So her cousin, he, um, you know, he wants to apply for the position. He's like, okay, you know, the black director is like, hey, I think that you should apply for the position because I've put you on um, many, many special projects and you have done it um, above and beyond what you're supposed to do. And so he was like, okay, cool. You know, he's a real quiet guy. He just comes to work. He doesn't, he's so codified. Like everybody eats in the break room. He doesn't eat in the break room. He doesn't socialize with nobody. Uh, my people told me that everybody's on the internet when they're at work. He's the only one that doesn't, is not on the internet. So he's really that model type to be in that position. Now the white homosexual director tells the black manager that, oh, you know, I don't feel like he's ready for the position. So she's like, what do you mean? He's not ready for the position. I'm, you know, I'm his manager. I've seen him do work that a lot of the other people can't handle. And he's done it and done it on time. So I think he's more than qualified for the position. And she, and he was like, well, I, I don't know. I, I I'll think about it. Well, what happened is my people were telling me that, you know, he is not friendly with the managers like that. He's not friendly with anybody. He just comes there to do work. But the manager likes people around him that is very friendly, flirtatious, you know, with a chitty chatty. And because he's not like that, that's why he doesn't want to put him up in that position. And, you know, I just felt like it was just, it's just real, real nasty and um, terroristic and just tacky, real tacky. This guy is just real tacky. And that's all I wanted to give you guys. But I'll give you another update because I'm pretty sure every week I'm, I'm always hearing something. So that's, that's all I wanted to tell you guys. Hmm. <clears throat> Context of white supremacy. That is uh, long running all the way back to the days of the uh, plantation uh, where it would be demanded that the black person be happy. Yes, you have been lashed and raped and beaten and worked to death. And we've done that to your mother and grandmother too. But don't you be upset about it. Smile. Pick that cotton and smile. That is the system of racism. Uh, white supremacy. We'll have to see how uh, all of that unfolds moving forward. I did want to get in as well. I had forgot where one of the callers uh, had mentioned earlier <clears throat> that they had developed a source at work in terms of just paying attention to what was happening. Like our caller who just shared down in Florida, this didn't happen to him per se, but just observing things that are happening in the office. You can pick up a lot. You can learn a lot <clears throat> where that was advised before. That is extremely important uh, to just be mindful, be alert, take notes, pay attention to things that are happening on the job. And if you can develop a source, meaning a person that you can talk to, to get constructive information, like they're not going to lie to you and just talk a whole bunch of nonsense and gossip and who's having an affair with who this week, but useful, helpful information so that you can be more informed about your job. You can function more efficiently and be more knowledgeable about your environment, your company. Great. If you can cultivate those sort of sources, they can be invaluable uh, in terms of helping you on the job. Uh, last few minutes, any, any final comments before uh, we conclude things? We'll be here tomorrow for uh, the book club, Gil Scott Heron, 
the last holiday uh, audio set or the book club session number five uh, on that book as we are closing in uh, on the conclusion uh, and the legendary Crystal Tyler, uh, author of the Wheat Money Cowbell would be ringing. She's married to a black male crack addict. She said she wanted his genetics. She'll be back with us uh, this coming Monday. Any uh, final comments last couple of minutes uh, before we conclude? Of course. Stacy in the UK, almost 4 a.m. Friday morning. Um, yeah, I did, just a, a quick couple of comments. I know you did um, mention, well, and I think you emailed me about someone in the UK who wanted to get in contact about um, establishing a network. Um, I haven't had time, and mostly because of sort of stuff that I'm dealing with sometimes. It just means I don't respond to things as quickly as I'd want to. But um, just to mention, I will get back in touch. Um, I did mention a couple of weeks ago that in relation to networks that um, they're looking at establishing a, a BME, Black and Minority Ethnic Network, in the organisation that I work for. And there was a meeting about it a couple, well, sorry, last week. Um, I won't go into too much detail about that now, but I will p- pick it up on a future call. But one of the um, issues was around how um, the shenanigans um, around uh, just putting uh, non-white members of staff forward for that meeting because it was being held with a group director and HR had identified, in inverted commas, a couple of people who they thought would, be, would contribute well. And needless to say, they will be some of the most confused non-white people in the organisation. So there was one girl who um, attended. She didn't actually say anything. Now, it turns out she had been asked to feed back to HR, um, and apparently she said she wasn't going to do that. Anyway, after the meeting, I saw her, um, and I asked her how she felt it went. Um, and she said... Um, it, uh, she, she, she responded, oh, yeah, um, she thought it was really useful. She learned a lot. And I might have noticed that she didn't say a lot in the meeting. Um, she she went along primarily to learn about the racism in the organisation and that she had, um, if she's really honest with herself, um, she had observed things, but she decided to not acknowledge that they were happening because if she did so, she would have to accept and address the things that she had been trying to ignore. Um, and I guess I was uh, surprised on a number of fronts. I guess there's a level of honesty in there which uh, I wasn't expecting. Um, but at the same time... Um, you know, it kind of made me think, well, where are you? Because you didn't actually say anything in the meeting anyway. Um, I don't know how to take that. Maybe she's just coming into herself. But I thought it was really um, eye-opening in terms of just the way in which people deliberately manoeuvre um, around this racism thing. But as is always said, we are victims. Now, that individual um, is from the African continent. I mean, I think she was born in the UK, but her parents. So she's um, deeply melanated. And I had been talking to somebody else who was going to the network about about who had been put forward to them, um, the BME network meeting discussion. 
And one of the things we observed about her and the shenanigans is around her is that she hangs around with a lot of um, racist suspects in the organisation. And they are younger people as well. You know, they're probably sort of in their early 20s or 19 to early 20s. And um, they are some of the most Aryan-looking young people you could ever select. I'm not saying they're necessarily all joined racist organisations, but if you looked at them, they would be, you know, if you wanted to describe Hitler's Aryan youth, that's what they look like. You know, very, very blonde um, individuals. So it's it's just an interesting, when you see it, it's an interesting thing to look at because she would be one of very few non-white people in that group. So when I was speaking to her, some of these young people had walked past and she called them to have a conversation with them and then went back into, you know, didn't, she, um, she had a conversation with them and then she walked away. Now, I carried on with them into the lift and they had seen me talking to her and uh, decided to start pretty much denigrating her. Why did she call us? She gets on my nerves. She always does that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was just that, wow, they saw me talking to her they clearly have no regard for her and they didn't even have enough respect for her to not discuss her in that way in front of me. I haven't actually said anything to her because I'm not even sure she would get it. Um, and I'm in two minds. I'm struggling. I would, I would welcome people's views about whether or not I should even say anything to this young person. But I'm erring on the side of she's not ready to hear that level of honesty. I'll meet my line, guys. Hmm. Wow. With the uh, <clears throat> the victim that approached you after you you had your meeting, I always think it's uh, great. I think racism, white supremacy, it's it's such a such a violent system, uh, and it's happening all the time, every day, worldwide, in all areas of people activity. I think a lot of us just are overwhelmed by it, particularly when we we don't really understand it. We don't have you know terms to accurately describe what's happening to us. So for the the victim who approached you and said, you know, this has just been helping me get a better understanding of things I've been trying to ignore. I think that's how a lot of us function uh, in this system. So that's great if you were able to help present information to get her to a point where she's ready to, I think Dr. Welsing, she used to always say the job of the uh, psychiatrist is to help the patient see truth and accept truth, even when they are reluctant and or fearful to do so. Um, so that's great. If you were able to help her uh, just take an honest assessment of her work environment and what is happening there, particularly what the race soldiers are doing to her. That's uh, that's phenomenal. Uh, in terms of, of sharing uh, what happened with another victim, mm, that is uh, that is a tough one. I know we have a lot of victims who pretty much their code is they pretty much take the position when they're on the job that they are behind enemy lines and that they do not look at other non-white people as, you know, allies or I have, you know, some obligation to share information uh, with this person or what have you. I'm not going to say anything because this person, as you shared just now, uh, there was someone who attended your meeting and they had been asked to, I guess, be a spy to report back and, you know, let us know what they're they're talking about. And they, they take the position that there there has been a lot of that. And, you know, I could go share this information and, you know, they could go back and tell the white people and get me fired uh, or something of that nature. That 
is certainly logical. Other people say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to share. I think it's black self-respect to share and to try to help other black people. Uh, So I'm going to share the information and just try to figure out the way that I can share what happened without causing problems for myself. Uh, That is a difficult one. And right at the end of the program, uh, you'll have to tell us how you uh, came to a decision. If you decided to share or to uh, just keep it to yourself, Uh, folks, if you want to write in and let us know your code on that one, we'll pick it up there for next week. Uh, thanks everyone for listening in. I hope it was a constructive investment of your Thursday evening. Again, we'll be here tomorrow evening. Gil Scott Heron, the last holiday audio segment number five. With that, thanks so much for tuning in. I know, uh, the fourth thankfully is over. We survived, uh, but I would still encourage sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. The race soldiers are still going to be out looking to stop folks if you're out and about. Uh, And it's just been my experience that a lot of people, we do not function at our best uh, once we are under the influence. We do not make the best decisions. uh, And it's just been the evidence shows that racists, they have done a lot of damage, taking advantage and abusing black people who were not thinking correctly, weren't making great decisions. Alcohol or whatever other substances played a role in that. Lots of evidence that that is true. That said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person, it has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned.